This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thanks for listening. Well, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about who belongs in the country, right? And uh, this was an interesting story that Philippe sent me right before the show. And um, I'm trying to, uh, you know, source out some of the things claimed in this article. This is from a publication called Revolt. Now, uh, Revolt uh, which is, uh, I think, a, a safe to say, a left-of-center new media outlet. You can check out the website at revolt.tv. They did this story, uh, which I found pretty interesting, about some of the New Yorkers who helped identify the Brooklyn shooter on the subway, you know, Frank James, who's now, you know who he's now friends with in prison, apparently? I'm not joking about this. R. Kelly. Evidently, R. Kelly and Frank James are hitting it off and are the best of friends in prison. That's what I'm hearing. Now, um, two immigrants came forward, illegal immigrants, came forward to help the authorities identify the Brooklyn shooter. And now, evidently, based on this article that Revolt did yesterday, they are facing deportation. So there are reports that, that are stating that a woman who was asked not to be identified only by her last name, Flores, but she doesn't want her first name out there, is being threatened with deportation due to her immigration status after helping authorities identify Frank James. So Flores was on the train when the attack happened and recorded video of the incident with her phone. Despite being an illegal alien from Mexico, she still did her part, you know, to help do the right thing and catch the gunman. Uh, Francisco Puebla is another illegal alien who was in the area at the time of the attack and was able to give authorities information on the crime. Puebla is the manager at Saifi Hardware and Garden Store and happened to be installing security cameras at the very moment that James walked past. The police were alerted, and James was then arrested. So the New York Times spoke with lawyers of Flores and Puebla, who stated that they're trying to get visas intended for victims, witnesses, and informants who help law enforcement. They're also investigating the chance of receiving um, humanitarian aid and political asylum. So... um. In addition to these two, evidently there are two other folks that are potentially facing deportation. I'm not really clear, and I read the Times piece as well as this Revolt TV piece. I'm not really clear on why they're not eligible for the, um, you know, the visas that are set aside for witnesses, victims, and informants who help law enforcement. They clearly are witnesses at the very least, and they clearly were helping law enforcement. So their lawyers say that aiding their clients would help to rebuild trust among Muslims and immigrants after years of heightened hostility towards them under President Trump. Oh, please. 
That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, more than a third of New York's 8.8 million inhabitants are immigrants, including half a million what the Times calls undocumented people. I think it's ridiculous to call them undocumented because they can go and get the non-driver ID. Oh, no, excuse me. They can go and get a driver's license now. What is that? What is a driver's license if not a document? So the term undocumented to me is not only it's worse than meaningless. It's inaccurate. Uh, They're an illegal alien, which is okay, fine. So um, Rafat Harab, a lawyer who represents one of the people that's facing deportation, wrote. um, uh, He said, you know, excuse me, no, Jessica Bolter who's an associate policy analyst at Washington's Migration Policy Institute, which is a think tank that promotes open borders, basically. Jessica writes, any sign of mutual trust between those authorities and communities could certainly go some way. Now, I am going to go ahead and bet here that these people that helped in this investigation here, identifying Frank James, I'm going to go ahead and bet that they're not going to be deported, and I'm going to go ahead and bet further, I'll double down, that they will get one of these special visas that's reserved for informants. But my question for you is, should they? Do you think that someone who helps um, bring a shooter, a subway shooter, or any other criminal, violent criminal especially, to justice, should get to stay in the country even if they're in the country illegally. Yes, no, maybe. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Luis Gomez Alfaro is an immigration lawyer who represents two of the four subway helpers. He said that he hoped Mayor Eric Adams' administration would be more assertive in nudging federal immigration officials on behalf of their clients. Quote, We really want the city to spearhead this because the honors keep coming. These folks were honored at City Hall. But as far as the actual help, we're still waiting. So um, we'll see what happens. It's very, very interesting. I my view is, look, we don't have we don't even know how many illegal aliens are in the country. Could be 13 and a half million, could be as many as 16 and a half million, could be 17. But we don't know. But. We do not have the will in this country to deport 17 million people. And we don't have the means to do it. And it would be it would be not a great thing if we could wave a magic wand and have 17 million illegal aliens disappear. You'd see prices spike in a dramatic manner. You'd see a lot of employers in a tough position. Um, so we have to choose who should be deported. So we're not going to get rid of 17 million or however many there are in one foul swoop. So we got to pick and choose who we're deporting. My view is if you're going to help with a crime, you get to stay a little bit longer. Right. I'm not saying you get citizenship. Other countries do give you uh, some sort of a uh, citizenship. France gives some version of uh, of citizenship if you help with the uh, with a crime like this. So. um Tell me what you think in general, not just with these specific New Yorkers, but with this policy in general. If someone helps identify a violent criminal, 
Should they get to stay in this country, even if they came to this country illegally? Uh, I tell you, I do give credit to this woman, Miss Flores, because sharing these recordings with the police might seem like an ordinary act. But if you're someone like her who is subject to um, a deportation order, then, you know, that's kind of a brave thing. That was the whole rationale behind having New York be a sanctuary city, even going back to the Giuliani years. They didn't want illegal aliens afraid to cooperate with police. And if you think about it, that makes sense. If someone's going around assaulting people or raping people or, or robbing from people, you don't want a whole bunch of folks who may have information about that crime to refuse to cooperate with police because they don't want to be deported. So in my view, this is sort of that same situation. So um, Flores should have been deported years ago. There's no doubt about that. She's subject to this deportation order that was issued after immigration officers raided an Amtrak train that she was riding in 2000, the year 2000. She said she never received a hearing notice and found out only years later. But after the shooting, all she could think about was her unborn child. I wanted him to be well. I was thinking about, oh, something will happen to me if I speak with them. Now, her lawyer plans to ask an immigration court in Buffalo to lift the order of removal and said he's optimistic because of recent federal guidance to end deportation cases. I can't imagine that under the Biden administration, which doesn't seem to be making deporting anybody very much of a high priority that they are going to deport these people. I don't think they will. My question for you is, should they? 800-848-WABC. And do you agree with what their lawyers are saying here, that the city should expedite this paperwork supporting these folks' application for what they call a U visa? A U visa is reserved for victims of crimes, including assault and attempted murder. So uh, apparently the city has not yet done anything to help their cause. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Johnny in Garden City. Hello, Johnny. Hey, Frank. In regard to this woman here, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, people like that, they express good citizenship for the country. And I think something like that has, has done shows that they could be good citizens. And this could be done as a point structure, too, something that they show that she's got, uh, she's done this, she's got a good job, and something can sponsor her. The country can give her some kind of status and have help accelerate towards the process of, of uh, citizenship. I have a guy that works at my house. He's illegal, but he's never been on any kind of public assistance. He came here. He told me the story with the coyotes, the whole thing, you know, 25 years ago, not, not 15 years ago. And um, I always thought about the fact that I can, if they can, sh- I was willing to write a letter on his behalf of, of the person he is and represent him in my own way. And if something like that can happen where a person is working, they're, they have they have recognition, sponsorship from good Americans, from Americans, I and mean, they should be recognized for who they are, and, and possibly have some kind of status to be in the country or some kind of you know be part of the country's American system. Well, I agree with you, and look, I think a lot of Americans, even people like me who are very strict with immigration issues, I think a lot of folks would be a lot more willing to agree with that if we were to solve the long term 
border problem. I, I don't, you know, because I think now a lot of Americans view it as, all right, we're not doing anything to solve the people coming into the country illegally. And at the same time, we're looking for every possible way to keep the folks that are already here illegally in the country. But someone like this, I, I agree with you, even though they're not citizens, they are demonstrating, as you termed it, good citizenship. Thank you, Johnny. 800-848-WABC. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you? I think they ought to give her citizenship. Well, why should, why should she get citizenship? I can understand giving her a special visa, but she look, she hasn't passed a citizenship test. She broke the laws of our country to come here. She hasn't been paying uh, income taxes on any income she's been earning here. So maybe we don't give her citizenship, but we give her one of these special visas to allow her to stay. Okay. Now look at it from my point of view. She was probably fleeing a bad country. I don't blame her for getting out. If somebody wanted to hurt you, wouldn't you want to leave? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now she comes to America. It's not our fault. We don't collect taxes from these people. Maybe if you let them in the country almost a little, leave them alone. Let them pay taxes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. And that is, and this is precisely the whole debate about immigration reform. And I don't, I don't want to be very clear. You're right, Mike. Uh, she probably was fleeing a tough situation wherever she came from. Yeah. But, uh, and I don't blame her for wanting a better life in America. What I blame, then thanks for the call, Mike. I blame our country for the lax borders enforcement. And I blame the businesses that would hire someone like this without um, in enforcing E-Verify. And I blame the government for not going after those businesses. Um, but um, I would never begrudge anyone who wants a better life for themselves or for their children, right? I just don't like that someone like that, someone that essentially broke into this country, gets to go to the front of the line, whereas people that want to go through the legal process of becoming legal aliens or citizens... They have to go through a cumbersome, years-long process, which oftentimes can actually be very expensive as well. I don't like the fact that she gets to skip the line. Um, but, I again, I want to be very clear. I don't think she should be deported. She helped with this crime. So did this fellow, Mr. Puebla. I say they get to stay on one of these special visas, these special crime witness or crime victim visas. What's wrong with that, Right. We're not going to deport everybody at once. Let these folks stay for a little while. 800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say hello to Shia in Nassau County. Hello, Shia. How are you today? I'm, uh, I you think doing? I'm doing pretty well. That's good. So, see, my my um, view on, on immigration is, um, you know, doesn't mean you have to deport every, every immigrant that comes in over here. Obviously, if they have a criminal record... Or they're just coming here to make trouble, trouble and cause havoc. Get get them the hell out of, out of this country. We don't need them over here. But, you know, but then there are some immigrants that come in over here. For example, you know, like 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 the previous caller said, they just come in here because they want to get out of a tough situation and they want to you know rebuild a life. They should be able to get citizenship over here. It should be easier for an illegal immigrant if they want to get citizenship to be able to get it in a much quicker way. It's very hard to get citizenship today in the United States if you come from out of the country. Yeah, um, well, it is hard. I just made that point, and that's exactly right. Thank you. Um, so I'm all for maybe make streamlining the process of becoming an American citizen a bit. Okay, I'm willing to do that. Uh, but in the meantime, I say we don't deport this person. Neil, or these people, Neil on Staten Island, hello. Hey, Frank, a few things. 
Uh, you know, I remember when uh, Trump was president, we had illegal uh, criminals in New York City, and de Blasio wouldn't turn them over the ice. So, and these are criminals, and they, they wouldn't get rid of them. Um, also, you, you mentioned the Biden judge might be lenient, but then again, the judge immigration might be a Trump judge and not be lenient. So you, you never know, you know, who the judge is going to be. And, and finally, I'd like to say, say a guy has 10 years in, uh, left of his prison sentence and he breaks out of jail and in his travels escaping, uh, he sees a mass murderer and he tackles him and captures him and turns him in. Uh, do we get rid of his sentence? No, uh, I, no, we don't. Uh, but no. they, they do get um, they do get some uh, some special consideration in something or another. But if you're if you're going to prison for a crime that uh, that has excess of a ten year sentence, that's a pretty serious crime. A, an immigration violation uh, that's considered a civil violation. I don't think it's the I don't think it's the same thing. I get the principle is the same. So it sounds like you think this woman should still be deported. No, 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 I don't, I don't, Frank, but there is a deportation order. It's not up to me, it's up to a judge, and whatever the judge decides, Frank, that's what we got to live by. Yeah, uh, fair enough, fair enough, thank you. 800-848-WABC. Tommy is in Bergen Beach. Hello, Tommy. Hey, Frank. Um, I believe that I say if your country is bad, you need to stay and fight for your country, not flee to America for jobs and lie about how Ban the country is so you can stay. The other part is, oh man, sorry, I'm eating some of my clothes. What are you uh, eating, Tommy? Lunch bar. What are you eating? Crunch bar, lunch bar, a crunch bar. Oh, a crunch bar. Okay, I didn't know they still made crunch bars. I don't see them anymore. And um, I just say um, there's a thing called um, um, the human. Sorry, I wrote it down. Here it is. You took notes in preparation for your call? I like that. I I think that this this, uh, deportation situation could be a ruse, you know, um, in order to recreate sympathy, um, you know, know, soften the propensity proponents, you know. um, I'm sorry, I don't know. I wrote some stuff down. I I say let the lady stay because she did something good. I have a problem with her staying and that... uh, it's okay, you know. I think you should get a special visa, but not a citizenship. But I do feel that anybody who is um, a violent criminal, they should be vetted. Well, anybody should be vetted. Well, I, I just don't believe in this letting people cross the border. Oh, I agree, Tommy. I, I agree. Look, uh, you know, thank you. Uh, I mean, look, I'm a Trump guy. I'm, I'm a Pat Buchanan guy. Uh, I, uh, you know, I had Michael Cutler on for 35 minutes the other day. I, I am for. Very strict border enforcement. You know, there's a lot of issues that I could be considered liberal on. And by the way, I don't think not wanting illegal aliens to come into the country and compete for uh, for jobs with American workers and drive down the price of American labor. I don't think that that's a right wing position at all. In fact, I think it's a position that's consistent with supporting American workers uh, just as opposition to free trade is. I don't think that's right wing at all. But uh, the point is, I'm very, very hardline when it comes to immigration. That being said, uh, I feel like this woman should get to stay for a, at least a bit, for at least a bit. 800-848-WABC. Hey, my friend, uh, Dr. Mason Pimler is uh, is on the line. Hey, D- Hello, Mason. How are Great you? show is always 
Good. How are you? I love this topic. First of all, I'm, I'm very excited about the Atlantic City. No one does. This is incredible what you do every week. Well, thank you. You're, you're very kind. I, I'm betting you're hoping that, that they don't have um, illegal aliens start uh, replacing doctors anytime soon, right, in hospitals? No. I'm a Democrat, more liberal than you, but you and I are on the same wavelength with the immigration now that you just mentioned it. I don't want, you know, you got to think America first. We're taking in so many people that drives down labor. I agree. I agree. But why I called was with this lady. I think you give her a pass. She did a good thing. It has a chilling effect. Others won't come forward. Yeah. So I think so far, it sounds like just about everybody is on the same page. I don't see why I don't see what the rationale is for booting her out anytime soon. No, the prosecutor should be fighting for her. That's prosecuting. Yeah. Well, what she's saying. Right. Yeah. What her lawyer is saying is they want um, they want the city to help with their efforts here. Do you think they should? Oh, I I definitely do. And I think, you know, since you have such a big listenership, I think by this, there will be some people listening to this. So, yes, I do. And I think the prosecutor, again, should be fighting for her um, to stay here. You know, thank you. I think we have. Have a great night. Thank you, Mason. Appreciate it. I'll talk with you soon, my friend. 800-848-WABC. Someone who's uh, I'm sure going to straighten me out whenever I get to. Uh, lily-livered and weak-spined, I get a, a, a proper tongue-lashing from Jennifer in Boston. Hello, Jennifer. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, Frank, I just wanted to say two things. I think what both of these two people did is what um, any person with a moral compass headed in the right direction should do. So good on them. Agreed. Um, if they're both working, even though they're not, uh, at least one of them is not paying taxes, perhaps both of them, and again, you know, this is, like I say, don't give me any special treatment, just treat me like an illegal immigrant. <laughs> Very frustrating, um, that aspect of it, and also the benefits that they get when Americans aren't getting them. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to say, but they did a good thing. So if they want the special visa, give it to them, because at least they're not, you know, out committing crimes like, you know, and that sort of thing, and that's a good thing. But people have to remember, Frank, one out of three New Yorkers now uh, in New York City are illegal immigrants. How many people are there on the planet and how many people do you think would like to come here? And when they say that everybody, a couple of people said, oh, she's probably in a bad situation, this and that. Well, you have no idea of that. There was a man last year when Trump was in office. He and his, I believe the poor little thing was a three-year-old daughter, died in the Rio Grande. Mm. with class all over the front pages of the New York Times and everything. And Trump was, you know, an orange monster. Because that happened, his own mother and the grandmother of that little girl said they were they were upper middle class in their country. They had a, a lovely home. They had land. He wanted more, and he knew he could get it in America. Yeah, well, so I, I, a, I, you're you know, right. You're right about it's that. Frustrating. And there are a lot of Americans, Frank, that are hurting. I know people that can't afford their heart medications and their heart supplements. I know people that are not getting into housing because there are people here with kids illegally. They're in housing. And it's very frustrating the ramifications that get overlooked for Americans. So I'm glad these two people seem to be 
you know, decent. But she broke our law more than once. She had a deportation order in addition to breaking it. Well, that's right. That's why I was I was sure to point that yeah. out. Jennifer, I, I, I want yeah. to try and grab Thank a couple of other people here, but I think we're on the same page on this one. I, um, uh, but just to be clear, I don't I think Jennifer said unless I misunderstood and I may have misunderstood because our phones are still have this situation where they're cutting out. I'll tell you, come Monday, if these aren't fixed, I'm not taking any phone calls. That's it. I will sit there and talk for four hours. Um, but hopefully it gets fixed because, after all, even I have my limits when it comes to conversation. I think Jennifer said at one point that one out of three New Yorkers are here are illegal immigrants. That is not the case. Um, they say at most it could be 500,000. But in a city of eight and a half or nine million, that is far from one out of three. So that's not the case. 800-848-WABC. Uh, I'm very excited at the conversation that we have coming up. I'll tell you, we did a segment a while ago about the rise in popularity of cremation and the decline in conventional burial. And uh, one of the people quoted in that article was David Charles Sloan. He's a professor at the University of Southern California and author of the book, Is the Cemetery Dead? Well, he's going to join us next to explain why nobody wants to get buried anymore, why everybody wants to be cremated. We'll, we'll explore that. I want to squeeze in one or two, uh, one or two more quick calls, and then we'll, we'll get to David Charles Sloan. Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Uh, hello. Um, yeah, the Democrats say they're for unions, but illegal um, alien businesses, undercut American workers and don't worry she'll stay because her lawyer put down Trump so she'll she'll definitely stay uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens all right we're going to discuss uh, burial versus cremation with David Charles Sloan straight ahead Side of Midnight, I'm Frank Moreno. There has been a stunning rise of cremation over uh, the last several years. It is now more popular to be cremated in this country than get a traditional casket burial. And it is twice as common to be cremated now as it was two decades ago. I got to tell you, maybe three weeks ago, we did the Washington Post did a story on this, a really interesting story. And I talked about it. I just basically read the article on the air and invited people to comment as to why. I thought this would be something we could talk about for five or six minutes, maybe ten minutes. I was blown away. We ended up, I think, doing a whole hour on it. Uh, people had a lot of very interesting things to say, a lot of very very informed opinions on this. Uh, but one of the people that I was very eager to talk to 
after reading that Washington Post story was a professor at the University of Southern California named David Charles Sloan, the author of the book, Is the Cemetery Dead? And uh, he was kind enough to join us today. David, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I'm happy to be here, Frank. So you actually grew up in a cemetery, is that right? Yeah, my father was the superintendent of uh, Oakwood Cemetery in Syracuse, New York. Well, terrific. We still have a lot of uh, of listeners in Syracuse, and uh, we're happy to have you back. All right, uh, so how how pronounced is this uptick in cremation and this decline in burial? Oh, it's amazing. So when you think uh, in 1960, fewer than 5% of Americans were cremated. By 2015, 51% were cremated. And the estimates are by 2030, 2035, somewhere around 70% of Americans will be cremated. So it's a it's a sea change in the way we think about dissipation in the United States. So I guess the, the million-dollar question is why? What are the key factors that are leading more people to be cremated as opposed to being buried? So cost is one of them, but I don't think it's the driving factor because cremation was cheaper in 1960 as well, uh, in 1980 and in 2000. And yet it's happened in the last 20 or 30 years dramatically more. I think it's there's several things going on. One is a number of Americans have sort of grown apart from their religious upbringings. And so they don't have that same kind of sense of place and, and commitment to a church or a synagogue or a mosque. And so they don't have that need to follow rules that their parents or grandparents would have. And this is then reinforced by the reality that they may not stay in a place like Syracuse, or they may not stay in a place mm. like Detroit or Atlanta. They may move to a new place. And so they don't have a connection to that old cemetery that they're family might have been buried in for two or three or four or five generations. And so they don't, those two things I think are really important. Then there's the other things about the changing culture in our society where people, uh, one of the things that happened with cemeteries in the 20th century became more and more standardized. So there were standardized lots, small lots. There were standardized monuments with less information on them, none of those fun epitaphs from the 18th century, none of the incredible drawings on the on the stuff from the 19th century. And so um, I think people saw that as sort of a conventional way to look at it, and they didn't want the convention. Mm. They wanted something different. Um, and I think those are – and then finally, there's this uh, – there's two things. One, real quickly, I think that's tied to personalization – People want this to be personal. They want it to be personal, and there's too much that happens around death that seems institutional and depersonal. And so you get you die in a hospital, surrounded by machines. You're sent to a funeral home where your casket is typically closed, uh, and you're sent to the cemetery where everybody has the same marker as you do. And so it seems very institutional, very depersonalized, and people are saying, I want this to be my kind of death. Then the last one is, and the, you know, six feet under, movies, 
you can just go through all sorts of stuff. Death had sort of come back um, after a period during the middle of the 20th century, maybe from the 1930s to the 1970s. Death is sort of back in the in, in prominence, and you can see this. You know that horrible tragedy that happened in Buffalo. One of the first things people did was start creating a roadside shrine um, in front of the grocery store where they could leave flowers and names and candles and all this stuff. And that's pervasive in the United States around traumatic death. That wasn't happening very much in 1950 or 1970. We were mourning in private in our homes and then in these institutions, in the cemeteries or the funeral homes or the churches and synagogues. And so I think those together make make a big difference in the way we think about cremation as a as a way for us to ha- control death as much as you can when it happens. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Professor David Charles Sloan. He's a professor at the University of Southern California, and uh, the author of the book is The Cemetery Dead. Uh, one of the re- one of the factors that I had seen cited in some places which is one of the ones that you didn't mention, it wasn't the secularization of society nor the cost, was ecological reasons. Is it better yeah. for the environment to be cremated as opposed to be buried? So it's a comp- it's actually a way more complicated answer than one would like it to be. For many years, uh, people argue that cremation was more ecological than, than folk burial. And the reason they did that was that people were being buried in hardwood caskets in steel or concrete vaults in ground that was then uh, kept green through pesticides. And so it's probably, if you look at that burial and you compare it to a fire cremation, it's probably still more ecological. In the last two decades, people have begun to, to look more seriously at fire cremation, though, and see that it's actually a fossil fuel. Almost all crematories are natural gas. And they admit some mercury, into particulate matter mercury, especially the older crematories. And so you have some ecological reasons to be concerned about that, which is why two things have happened that confound that simple question, cremation versus burial. So you have... You have natural burial, where you don't use any pesticides, you don't use uh, any hardwood caskets, you don't use any cement or concrete. You just wrap the person in a shroud, maybe put them in a bamboo uh, casket and put them in the ground. And that's a very, a very ecological approach. The other one is that there are new kinds of cremation. Most important of which, uh, the most pervasive, now we go on, I think, 17 or 19 states, uh, maybe even over 20 at this point, is alkaline hydrolysis, where the body is not destroyed by fossil fuels, but by this chemical alkaline hydrolysis, which is basically a simple uh, chemical that's not going to be damaging to the environment. And so... That's more. That's that is far more uh, ecological than a conventional burial, and is actually more ecological than a fire cremation. Interesting. 
Now, um, in terms of you are a historian, what do other countries do and what have other civilizations done throughout history? Has the cemetery been pretty standard for most of human civilization or is this historically a relatively recent phenomenon? So cemeteries have been around for a very long time, right? The the pyramids in Egypt. I mean, there's there's all sorts of ways that we have buried people for millennia. Um, cremation has been around for a really long time as well. In uh, Buddhist countries or in India, uh, there's places around the country, around the world, where the other kinds of dispositions were have been used. Burial, though, is pretty pervasive. I mean, it's a pretty a common method of disposition, partially because it takes a decaying mass of cells, your body, after it dies, and it puts it away. It sort of it moves it away from life, and um, and in, and for a very long time, uh, for at least centuries, if not millennia, people were very concerned about dead bodies being uh, around. And because they worried about the smell and they worried about the, the 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 decomposition and whether that decomposition was putting off vapors that were going to create more illnesses. And so burial was uh, very important. In America, uh, burial has been the standard disposition or entombment in a, in, a, in a mausoleum have been standard disposition from the time that Europeans came to the to the to the continent, um, the Native Americans, the First Nations, have a whole set of varying some buried, some left corp, uh, corpses out for uh, to be desiccated by the weather. There was a whole set of different kinds of, of traditions and conventions, but most Europeans have buried or entombed for a really long time. Hmm. Uh, has there been any difference over the years in the popularity of uh, being put in a mausoleum or, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know what the proper phraseology is, maybe it's entombed, but buried above ground rather than in the ground? So for a long time, being buried above ground was incredibly expensive. And so only very wealthy people could do it. Uh, and so the mausoleum, that you see in America prior to the 1870s, say, um, are almost all private mausoleums. Uh, in the 1870s and 1880s, people began to develop what was known as the Garden Mausoleum. And the Garden Mausoleum is individual crypts uh, in a building that isn't dedicated to a family. It's, it's a community building for disposition. And so entombment became much more popular at that point, there are some people uh, who are very afraid to be buried in the ground um, in the 19th century, particularly because there was this concern that they would be buried alive. Mm. Um, and somehow they wanted to be entombed. Others wanted to be entombed because they saw it as a status act where they could be above ground. They could have their name on a plaque with others. And it spread. And it has spread very dramatically during the latter part of the 19th century and still is today spreading in the 20th century. I think it's become quite expensive in many places around the country, like Los Angeles. So I think 
some people who might have done it uh, 50 years ago are not going to do it now. So you wrote the book. The question that, 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 that your book asks is in the title, Is the Cemetery Dead? Let me get you to answer that question. What do you think the future of cemeteries in this country is? So, it, again, it's this funny thing where on the surface, I think cemeteries are going to be around for a really long time. Because there, are, you said at the at, at the beginning, there are lots of people who don't want to be buried in a cemetery. But there are still lots of people who want to be buried in a cemetery. Fifty um, percent or forty-eight percent of Americans still get buried or entombed, and so that's a lot of people. And so it does not like they're going to go away. And more importantly, I think cemeteries have begun to say, okay. Discrimination thing is happening. It's happening really fast. It's becoming really important. Uh, we have sort of dealt with it in many ways. Cemeteries open crematories. They open little places where you can niches where you could where you could entomb a, a cremate a cremate cremation. Uh, you could they, they played with it, but now they're fully involved in trying to figure out. Are we going to create a space where you can scatter ashes within the cemetery and then have your name on a wall? Are we going to have places that are easier for people, very natural spaces where people can do similar sort of natural burial, but with a cremation? And so they're really working hard to try and figure out. And part of this is they're trying to get back into that public realm and so you're in New York City, Greenwood Cemetery in, in Brooklyn has just has begun to do art installations uh, where they're trying to bring people in to see these fantastic art installations. Other places like the cemetery in Atlanta has a 5K run that they do through the cemetery. So I don't think the cemetery is going anywhere uh, in any near future. At the same time, when we get to 70%, if we get to 70% cremation, the economics of cemeteries is going to become much harder to justify because it's going to be a, a burial of a cre, cre, cremation is not nearly as expensive as the burial of a full body. And so you're just not going to get the same kind of, of, of endowments that you would under a full burial. Is there... Um... Has there been a decline in folks visiting cemeteries over the years? Uh, because I remember when I was a child, it was almost a routine thing to go and visit right. relatives' uh, grave sites. And well, I'm talking about regularly, not not on a yeah. uh, special occasion or something like that. Now, I, I can't remember the last time I visited uh, my grandparents' uh, tombstone or anything like that. Do people still visit graves um, in large number? So it has declined. There's no doubt about it. It started declining in the, in the middle of the 20th century, but uh, it's really declined since then. And so families will make a, make a big deal out of Easter or Memorial Day, um, a day that's the birthday of the person, uh, things like that. But they won't go on a regular basis. So I grew up in Syracuse in this cemetery, 200-acre cemetery, and I worked for my dad from the time I was 13 and during the summer uh, throughout uh, my early 20s. And you could drive around and you would see some people who were there every week. I mean, they would be there every week or they would come twice a month or that, you know, they would be the regulars. 
and there was a small number of them. And then on Memorial Day, there'd be a huge number, and then they'd all go away, and then you'd be in the same back to the regulars the next week. And so it is one thing that I think cemeteries have confronted is that as people move away from their Mm. family homes, they're much less likely to go back and see their parents' grave, right? My parents are buried because my brother is uh, an assistant superintendent at Woodlawn in the Bronx at the time, and so they're buried in in Woodlawn. And when I go back to New York to do a walk or for some reason a vacation, I'll try and go up and say hi, but that's no more than two or three times a year. I have a, a sibling who says, I don't go there at all, and I have no desire to go. And so I think it's both. We've moved away a little, uh, maybe a lot, and there's a sense of why would we go back? And I, that's created some real problems for cemeteries because if you don't have that connection, then it's not, there's not a clear reason why you would be buried there. Uh, Talking with David Charles Sloan, he is the author of a fascinating book called Is the Cemetery Dead? Uh, David, one of the things that I like to do, there's a, there's a cemetery at the church that my wife and I go to, and there's graves going back to the early 1700s. And I love to look around at the tombstones, many of which have been restored, see the last names, see the ages that people were when they died. And I really view it as such a fascinating window into history uh, to see how the ethnicities of our community have changed over a couple of hundred years to see the differences in terms of, uh, um, you know, style of tombstone, people that were buried in the 1920s versus people that were buried in the 1880s. Do you think the decline of the cemetery in some ways also could result in a decline in being aware of our own history? Oh, without a doubt. Um, the modern cemetery, any cemetery, is a communal history, of, a collective history of that place of that neighborhood of that community and so when you have cremation become the primary mode of disposition and most people who do cremation don't bury in a inter in a in a cemetery then you lose that connection you lose that history and it is fascinating you know one of my favorite gravestones is in oakwood cemetery where the first line is she was uh, made a bride and a corpse all in one year. Oof. And it it just gives you this, yeah, ooh. I mean, it's that powerful sense of here's a life of a of a wealthy young woman um, that is that is gone. And and these are the power of that connection. There's also this amazing thing I, you brought it up about changing demographics. You know, for a very long time, I live in Los Angeles, and for a very long time. Uh, the major cemetery here, Forest Lawn Memorial Park, was a it was a whites only cemetery for many many years until the 1960s, and yet today voted their their big cemetery Glendale, one of their primary clientele are Chinese, and it's fascinating to see as you suggest the way that the Chinese monuments are different mm. than the, than the Anglo ones would have been 30 years ago or the Anglo ones would have been 50 years ago. And it, and it is this fascinating, again, this is, uh, you know, the Asian population in Los Angeles has blossomed dramatically. 
They have pretty good, they're fairly wealthy. I mean, there's many poor people, but there's a fairly wealthy community. And so they have enough money to be in a place like Forest Lawn. And so you have this sense of the dynamic nature of Los Angeles through the cemetery itself. And a number of scholars have looked at cemeteries as a way to get a sense of the dem- demography. I mean, one of the things that one of the a really nice paper that was written years ago looked at the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919, and how you could go in small towns in New England or in uh, larger uh, cemeteries uh, in metropolitan areas, and you would just see, you know, one right after another. The father died in 1918. Mother died in 1918. Son died in 1918. And you got a sense of that impact of that epidemic. Now, we're going to see some of that with COVID. Um, Some of it we won't because people are getting cremated. Fascinating conversation. Before I let you go, I'm sure you've explored other um, trends related to how people commemorate their loved ones passing other than cremation and other than burial. Uh, What are people doing other than those things when it comes to uh, commemorating their loved one's death? Yeah, they're doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm sure most people have heard about how you can take a cremation and turn it into jewelry Mm. uh, and wear it. Um, The one that's always struck me is, as you may know, I'm sure, Frank, that uh, memorial tattoos have become very popular. Uh, started out with mostly the service, uh, military service people, and now have spread pretty dramatically into particularly immigrant communities. And some of the younger people, and I don't think this happens with anybody, but the really young, are taking a little bit of the cre- uh, cremation remains and putting it in their tattoo ink, whoa! So that they can actually, so they can actually have the person in their body. Huh? Wow! And so there's doing that. Um, the probably the most uh, controversial uh, uh, practice that has emerged in the last decade, legal only in the state of Washington now, um, is this idea that you're going to recompose. Recomposition is what it's called. At the beginning, it was called human composting. Um, Recomposition is a little bit better name, I think. Uh, And basically what they do is you put their body in an incredibly rich nutrient uh, capsule, and you go down down this uh, mechanical space that Katrina Spade has innovated, and within a certain period of time, your your body is is consumed by that nutrient matter, and your family can have part or all of that matter. It's a lot, and so most people just take a little bit of it, and then the rest of it is spread in trees uh, wow. in the Northwest. Uh, hey, final That's, question. Uh, final question I have for yeah. you, David. I have to ask this before we run out of time. Is uh, Ed Koch, the former mayor of New York City, he was determined to get buried in Manhattan, and he, I think, got yeah. one of the very last burial plots in Manhattan. The television show Billions did a whole a couple of episodes about the guy that spends a whole bunch of money for the very last burial plot in Manhattan. How common is this in communities and especially cities around the country that they're just running out of uh, space to bury people? Well, in Manhattan, it's not that they're running out of space. It's illegal to start a new cemetery. Uh-huh. And so, and it has been for a really long time, 1820. 
Um, and so all the cemeteries were moved. That's why there's so many cemeteries in, in Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Queens, is that they all got pushed out of the cemetery. Same thing's true in San Francisco, where everybody everything got moved out to Colma. And so uh, in those places, it's really hard to get buried there. There is a big exception, again, around cremation, is that a number of cathedrals and churches and synagogues are now creating spaces within their sacred within their sacred buildings, but where you can be interred as a cremation. Um, San Francisco Cathedral. I'm sure there's several places in New York, and so. People are going to come back. They're just not going to have a full body burial. Uh, David, a fascinating conversation. I hope we can talk again in the future. I hope people check out your book, Is the Cemetery Dead? Thank you very much, Frank. Great. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with David Charles Sloan, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, just join our Facebook group. Uh, on Facebook, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. It's also meant to be a platform for anybody that has thoughts about the topics that we cover on this show. You're welcome to share them over there. Now, uh, I will tell you, I think you know if you've listened to me for any length of time, that I'm very interested in aliens, and I also am a sucker for infomercials. And I just love a good infomercial. I'm talking short-form infomercial. doesn't matter what it is. Ginsu knife, uh, you know, the indestructible hose, uh, you know, the my, my pillow, whatever. Anything that shows something miraculous happening, what, what's that, Flexon, you know, anything. Orange glow, you name it. You name it. It's even stuff that I don't do, like cook or clean or do yard work or, or cut things. I'm just a sucker for it. I can't resist. I, I maintain these are the best producers in all of media. So anyway, a few years ago, I used to see an infomercial for something called Alien Tape. And I seem to remember, maybe it's just in my own brain, but I seem to remember my wife saying how she thought that was neat. And it's basically a double-sided tape, but it's supposed to be super strong. So I got it for her as part of a birthday gift maybe about three years ago because we were still in our old apartment. She used it. It did not work in terms of sticking up the, the things that she wanted to stick. So Saturday, she's using it to stick to the wall. I didn't realize this was the same tape. Um, these pictures of her cats. She's hanging up pictures of our cats using this alien tape. So I didn't realize it was alien tape. Later in the day, she's trying to move it. It's taking the paint off the wall. I'll let you wonder who got the blame. Keep asking questions. This 
is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. If you listen to this show, I hope you know that I really love words, right? I, I just love words. You know, one of the people that was bashing me on our Facebook page um, said in one of the comments, well, not on our page, but on the WABC Facebook page, that's, they put a video of me saying something. I don't remember what. But they, they said the person, the commenter said, Boy, that's someone who really loves, is really entertained by the sound of his own voice. And maybe there's something to that. There might be something to that. But even more than that, I think the thing that I'm really entertained by is the words that I'm using. I I really have a fondness for words. Love to learn new words. Love to use new words. Love to use words in different ways. Love to make up my own words, as you could probably tell. Now... Jim Vandehei, who was the founder of both Politico and Axios, and these days he works with Axios, he has a daughter named Sophie. And this was emailed to me in the Axios uh, finish line newsletter over the weekend. He has a daughter named Sophie, who's a college student, and she dropped a new word on the folks at Axios recently. It's called apricity. I'm not sure if it's apricity or apricity. Um, Matt Blaze, do you have any idea what apricity means? No clue. Neither, and, and Philippe, you obviously don't, right? You <laughs> obviously. Ne- you've never even been to a baseball game. Um, okay. Apricity, I didn't know what it was either, so I'm not trying to uh, Philippe bash. Apricity is a word that describes the sun's warmth in winter. So this use, uh, Jim Vandehei's daughter Sophie's use of the word apricity, it inspired a much bigger conversation about cool, rare words that we should make mainstream. So this was fascinating. I had no idea about this. A linguist told the BBC, are you ready for this, that 75% of our daily speech comes from as few as 800 words. That's nothing. 800 words, it's nothing. So evidently, what we do in society, or in any society, is we fall into these language patterns and ruts. So the staff at Axios uh, was asked to give some of their favorite underused words in order to lengthen the vocabulary lists of the people at Axios. I thought it might be fun for us to do the same thing, to ask you, the callers, the listeners, to come up with a list of rare, or at least not, if if not rare, underused words that we really want to make mainstream again. 
that or, or main maybe mainstream for the first time. Words that you don't hear often that describe something perfectly, but you never hear. And I'd love it if not only could people create, excuse me, not only could people add to this list of words, but commit to start using the words that we're all going to come up with. I um, am going to post this list to our Facebook group at facebook.com um, slash Morano fan or, and, or, or at the group is, uh, you know, Morano radio fans and haters. And maybe we can all try and make a commitment to use a few of these words every day. I'm going to make that commitment now. The word that I'll, I'll kick things off, the word that I um, am going to add is penultimate. Uh, I I love the word penultimate. I use it all the time. And so often I hear that word misused. Matt Blaze, you know what penultimate means? Uh, no. No. Okay. So, Philippe. Philippe knows that one. It's second to last. That's right. It's next to last. So, um, I would love to create our own list, and we'll post it on Facebook and encourage everybody to use these words. I'll give you one example. I used the word penultimate on the radio a while ago, maybe a year ago. And I was saying, I wish there was a proper word to describe whatever comes before penultimate, meaning two before last. And somebody called in or emailed me, I don't remember which one, and gave me that word. But because I didn't use it, I no longer remember it. So it's one of those things, vocabulary is one of those things where if you don't use it, you lose it. So let's make a list of rare words that we should try to use more that we want to make mainstream. I'm kicking things off with penultimate. I'm going to share you the um, with you the ones that the Axios staff came up with. There's some interesting ones on here. I don't think I I think I only knew one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven of them. I think I only knew three of them. And I'll give you their uh, the words and then the Merriam-Webster definition. Now, because I don't use these words, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing them correctly. One word that they came up with was protean, protean, displaying great diversity or variety, like an actor who can do both comedy and tragedy. See, that's a great word. I would like to think this that that this is a protean radio show. Doyen, doyen, a person considered to be uniquely skilled and experienced in a certain field. See, um, Frank McKay, who's the former state chairman of the Independence Party, he's now the president of uh, WABC Long Island Division. We, as I've described before, he and I didn't speak for, for silliness for about 10 years over politics. And I saw him at the ratings party that we had recently and we're talking and he was describing to me how he would watch what I was doing on radio and he would watch what I was doing politically. And even though we weren't really friends at that point, he would still be uh, rooting for me. And he said to me um, at the time, I watched what you did with the Reform Party, how you took over the Reform Party. And he said, um, I'm really, uh, I was amazed at it. And I said to everybody, Morano did the right thing. He's going to win control of this party. And he said, it's amazing that you were able to pull that off, beating back the whole statewide Republican Party beating back a gubernatorial candidate and a sitting county executive and all their lawyers and all their staff, and you beat them all. It was really amazing. He said, the thing is, though, I think there's probably only 20 people in the whole state that appreciate 
how amazing that was. And I said, you're right. No one gets how difficult it is to take over a party to begin with, let alone a minor party. So that would be a a person considered to be uniquely skilled and experienced in a certain field. Both Frank McKay and I would be doyen, a doyen, I think. Um, Petrichor, the pleasant smell of earth after a rainstorm following a long dry period. I bet you didn't know there was a word for that. Petrichor. Spindrift. Now, this is one of the ones that I did know because of the drink. They have these spindrift drinks. That's a sea spray. Here is something very interesting. Susurrus. Susurrus. A whispering or rustling sound. It sounds like what it means. Susurrus. Um, Here's one I did know as well. Avuncular. That's suggestive of an uncle, especially in kindliness or geniality. And here's a good one. Frabjous. 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 Wonderful, extraordinary, and joyous. There you go. Frabjous. What words do you have? Real words we're talking about. Not made up words. What words do you have that we can add to our list and then commit to using? 1-800-848-WABC. Rare words that we should try to make mainstream. 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, do you have anything to contribute? I'll have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, see, mm-hmm. see, I, I got Matt Blaze. This is the opposite of the mood that he was in the other day. So the other day, he was in the mood to comment on everything. And now um, now it's like one of those where I'm, I'm pulling teeth. I have well, a drill. It does, it does remind me of something, this, this whole thing. Remember Not Necessarily the News on I, HBO? I, you know, I've seen it. Yeah, well, Jeff Gurian was on that show, actually, yeah. Well, they had a segment called Sniglet, and a Sniglet was a word... It was for something that's not a word, something that happens every day that we don't have a word for. That's good. I like that. Okay, that's good. Sniggle. And they call it a sniglet. I like it. See, that will put that on the so list. That's a word. Philippe, do you have anything to contribute? Yeah, I this, I like this topic because I too am into words sometimes. Um, one word I really like. It's it's one of those words that doesn't sound like what it's spelled like, like Xerox. I like words like that. Uh, onway. Onway. How do you spell onway? E n n u i. E n n. U I yes oh yeah I have seen that I didn't know how that's how it was pronounced what does Anway mean it's like listlessness or it's pronounced on we dude oh on we yeah go do your job yeah that's Alex Barnard trying to trying know. to butt in uh, yeah I don't have the word to describe what Alex Barnard see, was trying a, to that's, do that's sniglet we need that, a sniglet see we that. need a sniglet well, there might be a word I think it's just interrupting but um <laughs> now I feel Anway yeah, on you Anway uh, on you uh, or on we according to Alex Barnard and he's got a microphone there can't we we turn on Alex Barnard's microphone or is that well, am we'll I asking for trouble are the the people <laughs> in charge of that microphone are the same people in charge of fixing. Uh, our telephone. All right, Alex, if you want to come in, if you have a word, you're you're welcome to uh, to come in. 800-848-9222. Some rare words that we should try to make mainstream. What do you have for us? 800-848-WABC. Henry in Manhattan. Hello. Uh, hi, Frank. Uh, I have a book that I'll send you that's uh, called Rare and Obscure Words. Um, I got it for my... Uh, friend who was a who is a who was a translator at the UN that I thought uh, she could uh, pull something that no one ever heard of but uh, would be accurate but what I wonder is I had the word uh, 
that I really am trying before the end of my life to get into general circulation, and that word is sidention. I think it sounds really uh, high class. And uh, But it's not a real word, though, right? Not yet. And what do you want it to mean? Well, the thing is, it could be spelled two or three different ways. I mean, it could be S-I-D-E-N or P-S-I or, you know... Uh, and w- uh, what would one of the spellings of it mean? Give us one possible definition. Okay, well, one spell, uh, the original one, Sidention, is it's like a diversion or a uh, detour from the original goal that ends up being very uh, worthwhile. That's not done. bad, Henry. That's not bad. I like I like the word and I like the definition. Uh, good luck to you. I'm, and if there's a way I can help, if there's a Sidention rally that I can show up to and use the word Sidention a couple few times, I will. Thank you. But I want to stick. I, I want to want to refocus us here. Um, I do not want to make up new words here. What I want is existing words rare words that we should try to make mainstream again, or at least mainstream for the first time. One guy, the guy that emails us every day with a detailed review of the show that a lot of people think is actually me because he won't reveal his identity, um, he just sent me an SMS text message and said, lugubrious. I don't think that's that's good. I don't think that's obscure enough. Lugubrious is a very, I mean, I use lugubrious all the time. Do you know what lugubrious means, um, uh, Matt Blaze? You're going to be our... <laughs> Absolutely not. You don't? Okay. <laughs> so maybe he's right. So lugubrious is uh, basically looking or sounding sad and dismal. Uh, or I always, the, the person I always think of when it comes to lugubrious is there was once an article in the New York Times about Sheldon Silver. And they described his voice as lugubrious, which I thought was perfect because he did sound lugubrious. Good God rest his soul. 800-848-WABC. Stephanie is in Forest Hills. Hello, Stephanie. Yes. Hi, Frank. Um, it is a funny thing that I, I love words, too. And when I graduated high school, I had a, a whole summer and I decided you know, I'm going to get one really great word that I love and use it all day long. So I do have one word now for you out of many, many words that I that I had. But there is also um, a down a downside. So what's the word? What's the word, Stephanie? Okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Ignominious. Ignominious. Yes. Okay, and and um, now, is that I I G N O M I N I O U S. I G N O mean M I N I O U S. Right. Okay. I have an abridged dictionary. Sure. Go ahead. Give it to us. Okay. No, it isn't in my abridged. I have a Webster's abridged. Well, so what does the word mean? Oh, oh, ignominious, puzzling, something that's puzzling. Something that's puzzling. Okay, ignominious. Yes. I like it. Thank you, Stephanie. Who was ignominious that uh, that phone call was ignominious. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Give us some rare words that we should try to make mainstream again. 
Uh, and then we'll make a list, and then we'll all commit to using these words, right? Ignominious. Ignominious. I like that word. Puzzling. Ignominious. Good. Uh, Bob in Manhattan. Hello. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I enjoy your show very much. Well, that's nice of you. Thank you. I'm doing fine. Good. The word I like is celerity. Uh, it's like to measure the speed of a comet. It's lightning fast. Celerity? Yes, C-E-L-E-R-I-T-Y. So if something is lightning fast, the celerity of a comet would be a good way to use it. I like it. Okay, um, celerity. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, something ce- that acts quickly, very quickly. And so it's C-E-L-A-R-I-T-Y? No, no. C-E-L-E-R-I-T-Y. C-E-L-E-R-I-T-Y. Uh, C-E-L-E-R-I-T-Y. Okay, I like it. Thank you. Bud. By the way, I'm getting some different definitions for ignominious. So we're going to have to double-check the definitions apparently. Ignominious. I just saw the same thing. Apparently, is deserving or causing public disgrace or shame. So this way, if I were to engage in ignominious behavior, it might cause WABC to invoke the morals clause in my contract and dismiss me. So I should avoid ignominious behavior. See, see, isn't this fun? We're already getting in the habit of this. That's a good word, but you got to have the proper definition. That's the thing. Uh, Charles is in Queens. What do you have for us, Charles? Yeah, hi, hi. First of all, I want to say I, I do enjoy your usage of words that most people don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, my, but Thank you, you. you do have a great vocabulary. By the way, okay, um, I, I always thought the word was pronounced, I'm probably wrong, ignominious. So uh, did I, actually. Then. So did I. I thought it was ignominious as well. Can we pull up Matt Blaze, one of those pronunciation computer things, and, you know, where it says, Ignonymous or ignominious, where that robot tells us how it's pronounced. So we're going to get a, pro, a clarification on pronunciation. Oh, so it is ignominious. Hang on. Play it again, Matt. Ignominious. Ignominious. Okay. No, she was right. Stephanie was right. You have a word for okay. us, Charles? Okay. Uh, when my son was 16, 17, studying for the SATs, he said to me, Daddy, who the heck needs these words? You hate somebody. Abhor, despise. Nobody knows these words. I said, okay, dear, give me a, a word. He says to me, uh, temporary. So I, I should give him cinnamons. Uh, cinnamons? Yeah, right. Okay. So then I said, fleeting, ephemeral, evanescent, transitory, transient, temporal. He looked at me, how the heck do you know these words? Now, these are actually mainstream words. I mean, I know them from the SAT. I used to study the SAT words with five synonyms and five antonyms for each one. But most people, I used to use fancy words. And most so, people don't know what so Charles, what word? About. I think I'm showing off. Charles, what word do you have for us today? Well, I'm saying these words, most people don't use them. Well, give us one. Oh, oh, those. Oh, no, those yeah, are not. A, a renaissance, temporal, transient, transitory. Who who uses it? Yeah, I find. Books, you see it. I don't know. I, I find those are all pretty commonly used. My definition. I know. My, they should be mainstream, but most people don't know them, I promise you. Well, no, I know, see, I, I my people. barometer. Thank you, Charles. My barometer in this exercise is if Matt Blaze knows the word or not, then if, it's, if he doesn't know it, then we'll put it on the list. If he knows it. Then we'll, we we're not going to put it on the list. I'm going to know none none of these. No, words. ephemeral. You knew. Oh right? yeah, I, I, yeah. I so the words he listed, I feel like even you knew. I mean, not yeah. even you. I mean, but I, you I, knew. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is even me. I have the vocabulary of like a fifth grader. No, well, no, but so do, uh, we're the, we're all in the same boat here. Apparently, 800 words is makes up 75 percent of all our conversation. Now we're we're, we're work together to expand that now. So I'm not adding any of those words. I don't feel like they're rare enough. The words that I read from that Axios list, Protean and the like, 
I think those are all words because I didn't know most of them. Not that I'm this great vocabularian, but um, but I feel like I'm I'm also a good barometer. If I know it and Matt Blaze knows it, forget about it. Everybody knows it. Uh, Joan is in Manhattan. Hello, Joan. Oh, hi, Frank. Yeah, by the way, yes, it's ignominious, and it means having a very bad reputation. So you definitely don't want to be guilty of ignominious behavior. Clearly. But my, my question is the word fragis. Now, uh, I have a feeling... Fragdus? Fragdus? F-R-A-G-D-O-U-S? No, 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 no. The word you mentioned, the word fragis from the list... And if you would check Oxford English Dictionary, I think that word is Jabberwocky from Alice in Wonderland. Oh, Fragus. Got it. I don't think it's a real word. How, would, how did they spell it? F-R-A-B-J-O-U-S. Right. I don't think it's a real word. Now, maybe it became a real word. If you look in the OED, see if it says invented by Lewis Carroll. Yes, it was. It was. It was indeed invented by Lewis Carroll. Yes. Right, twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. None of those words is real, except Fragis. in the and and. And well, it's something like oh, frabjus day kalukale. So I'm not sure anybody really uses that. Does the Oxford English Dictionary say it's a real word now? It is. That yes, are... yes, it is a real word. Yes. Oh, but I've never heard anybody use yeah, it. Yeah, there's and a whole article about this. There's a whole article: <laughs> the frabjus words invented by Lewis Carroll. Aha. Yes. Did you ever hear anyone use it ever, ever? Uh, no, but but Axios did link to an article in which one of their reporters used that word. Uh, but oh, it's wow. a, Thank well, you. Thank you, Joe. Do you I have another word to contribute? Uses it, if, if we use it, it becomes a real word, you, doesn't you, it? Do you have a word to contribute? I don't really, but I also love penultimate. And penultimate, very few yes. people know what it means. Well, and they think it means beyond the ultimate right, you're, and I was you're, thinking we need, a, we need a word for penultimate beyond the ultimate well, and then I realized we have it as quintessential probably well, is the best you can do thank you John you know I was listening to the radio the other day somebody used the term penultimate the complete wrong way the, and, and uh, the caller she alluded to the definition that a lot of people use it as and that is the incorrect one you know what other word? I didn't know this. You know what other word Lewis Carroll invented? Snark. Snark. Like to be snarky. They're always describing me as snarky. That word didn't exist before Lewis Carroll. I didn't know that. This guy's a regular Shakespeare. So that word first appeared in a poem that he wrote about uh, some crazy creatures. Well, the first definition of the word is a mysterious imaginary animal Today we use it more often in the sense to be critical in a rude or sarcastic way, as in a snarky comment. But a snark hunt sounds like a lot more fun. It certainly does. 800-848-WABC. We're looking to build a list of rare words that are real, that exist, that we're trying to make mainstream. And we're asking you to not only contribute to this list, but to pledge to use these words regularly. I'm going to be using ignominious all day today. I'm going to be at a fundraiser tonight. If I if they ask me to speak, which I hope they don't, so I can get drunk at the beginning of the fundraiser and then hopefully sober up towards the end in order to be on the air, then I'm going to be using ignominious like crazy. Judy is in New Jersey. Judy, Judy, Judy. Hello. Hi. Hi. Salubrious. Salubrious. That's a good one. Yeah. See, 
See, yeah, I, I I don't know how uncommon it is. I know people use it, but they don't use it often. Uh, <laughs> and it means conducive to to well-being. Right, or wholesome or healthy. Do you know yeah, salubrious, yeah. Matt Blaze? Salubrious? About okay? No. No, okay. All right, I'm putting it on the list. Uh, salubrious is a good one. Thank you. Did you know it? Yes, I did know that one. I did know that one. Al in Manhattan, hello. Yeah, it's only got one word. Frank Tick. Frank Tick. Frank Tick? The word is Frank Tick. F-R-A-N-K-T-I-C? Yes. That's... Frank-tick. He was frantic about the show preparation. Oh, that's not a real word. You made that up. No, it's, I saw it on Joe Franklin about 10 years ago. Oh, please. Then, then Joe made it up. Frankly, that's the truth. <laughs> not a real word. Real words only. Eddie on Staten Island, what do you have for us? Um, good morning, Frank. Um, I have a real long word that I remember from high school we used to use a lot. It's called extraterrestriality. Oh, boy. And, and the meaning of it is diplomatic immunity in foreign countries reserved for diplomats. In other words, the immunity diplomats have in foreign countries. So it's basically di- diplomatic immunity. Uh, that diplomats have, diplomats have in foreign countries. Right. It's- extraterrestriality. Yeah, extra it's, uh, diplomatic community. Okay, I like it. I had not heard the word before. I'm putting it on the list. Thank you, Eddie. 800-848-WABC. Bill in Manhattan. Hello, Bill. Hi, good morning. Uh, I have a word for you, and I, I have to have to credit uh, the late, great Gene Shepard for the word. He, 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 he once t- talked about it on his radio, radio show. The word is gallimaufry. Gallimaufry. Yep. What does it mean? Well, it's derived from the French and possibly Dutch before that. It means it's a, it's a hodgepodge, imbroglio, uh, kind of a stew. There's actually a gallimaufry stew, I believe. It's spelled G-A-L-L-I-M-A-U-F-R-Y. Yeah, I'm, I, I like this word. A confused jumble or medley of things. Exactly. Yeah, you hodgepodge. know, that could apply to our show as well. We're a confused <laughs> jumble or medley of things. Gallimaufry. I like that. That's good. Like good one, Bill. Let's see, that's the exact. That is exactly the kind of word that I'm looking for. A gallimaffrey, gallimaffrey. I love it. That's a good one. Gallimaffrey. Tim in Manhattan. What do you have for us, Tim? All right, Tim's moving on. Um, by the way, I'd also love it if somebody could tell me that word that I have forgotten. The word before penultimate. Uh, Stan is in Rockland County. Hello, Stan. Oh, how you doing? Love your show. Um, I have one pa- pandiculation. Pandiculation. And flibber to gibbet. Um, so what is the definition of pandiculation? Uh, you, you, when you're talking, you run your hand like in the air. Like, you know, you, it's the... Um, like well, I, I, give it to me again. I, you broke up there. Oh, yeah. Um, you... You rub your, you run your hands in the air when you're talking to somebody. Oh, well, so I'm looking it up now. It's the involuntary stretching of the soft yeah. tissues which occurs in most animal species and is associated between cyclic biological behaviors. It's almost like when you, oh, see, you know, when you put your, your arms up when you're stretching almost, when you're, um, yes. okay, all right, pendiculation, okay. okay. Yeah, and uh, flibber to gibbet is somebody who yaks a lot, I'm pretty sure. That's a real word, flibber to gibbet? Yeah, it was in a crossword puzzle once, and it took up from left to right and filled up the whole Yeah, crossword. you're right. Flibber to gibbet, a frivolous, flighty, 
or excessively talkative person. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. So we we work with some people that can fit that definition. Flibber to gibbet. I thought that was blah bravosia bravosa. That, I don't think that's a real word. <laughs> I think Curtis made that word up. This this is right up his alley. Yeah, flibber to gibbet. Yeah, we got to give him flibber to gibbet. Curtis will make that one mainstream. Um, Philip is in Brooklyn. Hello, Philip. Yeah, flummox. What is the word? Flummox. F L U M M. Flummox. That's that's not uncommon. I know that. Yeah, even even Matt Blaze knows it. That's it. No, I. If you, you're coming here with a word that Matt Blaze knows, you better tell your story walking. Call some other radio show. Call uh, I don't know Mark Simone. Actually, Mark has a pretty good vocabulary. Uh, Gail is in Manhattan. Hello, Gail. Hi there. Um, I have a word, but could I just make a point first? Sure. I, I love your campaign because I love words too, but I think it's a lost cause. People don't you, – you sound like you're putting on airs when you use these words. So many times I want to use a fancier word that would actually take less effort than putting together four simpler words, but I have to break it down because it just doesn't go over with people. You know, um, isn't that a shame that you feel the need to dumb yourself down rather than to use the word that's appropriate to what you're trying to communicate? That is such a shame. That is such a shame. And I try not. It happens often. Uh, you know what? It, it happens sometimes with me, too. And when I was maybe in, you know, like third grade, uh, sometimes my classmates would ridicule me for for using, you know, big words. And then I, got, I sort of did get into the habit of not using those words again. And I find there are days when I almost still do that myself. So I'm I'm going to try not to do it anymore, but that's a good point. And I think that's a real shame. People shouldn't feel um, as if they're being pretentious because they're using the English language properly. Right. Um, anyway, my word is trenchant. T-R-E-N-C-H-A-N-T. I knew the word. I didn't know what it meant, actually. I just looked it up before I called you and it didn't mean what I thought it meant. So that happens sometimes. Trenchant. T-R-E-N-C-H-A-N-T. Right. Uh, so okay. it's it says vigorous or incisive in expression or style. Right. She heard angry voices, not loud, yet certainly trenchant. Okay. <laughs> That's a good All one. Right. All right. Thank, thank you. 800-848-WABC. Uh, Mike in New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. Slubber degullion. Okay. You're putting me on. That's a real word? I got it from the movie Bad Words, which was made about six years ago. Um, it means a crass, rude, sort of slovenly person. Give me the word again. How do you spell it? I don't know. It's uh. S-L-U-B-E-R, Slubberdegullion. And if you watch that movie Bad Words, which is hilarious, they use it in the movie. It's about a spelling bee gone. Right. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Is that Jason Bateman in that movie? Yes. And Philip you. Baker Hall. Yeah, movie. I saw that in Robert theaters. Th- that is a great film. It's a great film, yes. I, I, but I don't remember that word for whatever reason. You know why I don't remember it? Thanks, Mike. Because I haven't been using it since I saw the film. That's uh, that's that's good. Oh, uh, What's the spelling on that, uh, Mr. Matt Blaze? S-L-U-B-B-E-R-D-E-G-U-L-L-I-O-N. Uh, basically, a dirty rascal or, or a scoundrel or a wretch okay uh that's a good word that is a good word i can't see myself using that one one because i don't try to be insulting to people 
But once in a while, you have to be. Anthony's in Astoria. What do you have for us, Anthony? Yeah, a first-time call, a pleasure, Frank. Oh, well, we got to give you a... Uh, uh, copacetic. Oh, so copacetic. I feel, first of all, I want to reward you for being a first-time caller. Um, however, I think copacetic might be too common. Well, I guess, well, I... Well, I guess it is. I guess it is. But, I mean, I'm the only one that I know uses it. <laughs> well, that's that's fair. Um, I like it. I, I'm, that's a, it's a great word, and uh, I'm glad that you called, Anthony. I hope you'll call more often. Uh, well, I, I, I think I will, Frank. Good. I hope, again. I hope you do. Matt Blaze, you know copacetic, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's not going on the list. I, I See, I feel bad. I want to encourage him. I want to give him that positive reinforcement, but I can't do it. To call back. Yes, exactly. Uh, Joe from Brooklyn, hello. How you doing? It's a pleasure to talk to you, Frank. First Thanks. time calling. Oh, well, welcome Frank, aboard. A, thank you. I have a great word. You probably know it. The way that you hear where, where I think it's derived from. Let's the word hear is misanthrope. Misanthrope. Yeah, that's somebody that's a miserable person. Yes, and I believe it also personally hates people. But I believe it derived Listen from the Democratic me. Party because that's exactly how they're acting these days. <laughs> uh, uh, 800-848-WABC. We'll do a few more of these, then we'll move on. Uh, I can't imagine everyone's as interested in this as I am. Um, Chris is in Peekskill. What do you have for us, Chris? Uh, one of my favorite words is argent, and it means silvery white like a full moon. Ooh. And it was used to describe someone's smile in a book I read once. Uh, he had an argent smile. A-R-G-E-N-T? So yes. Okay, I like it. Argent. Thank you. That's a good one. Tim in Manhattan trying to call back. Tim, where were you the first time we went to you? I don't know. It's called a trap. Tim, give it to me again. Perigrination. Um, perigrination. How do you spell it? P e r i g p e r i g r i t a t. Okay, so it means it's it's a journey or a voyage. You got it. Okay, well, I didn't know it. I had to look it up. That, that's. I want to give you a word that we don't use anymore, but I love the word. That's a good one. Swell. 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 You know, I like swell. <clears throat> you know, like how you how do you feel today? Swell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, swell is used. Swell is used much to the chagrin of uh, Professor Harold Hill and the and the parents of River City. Corey in Palm Bay, Florida. Hello, Corey. Hello, Frank. Um, how about a scans? A scans. Parlance of Frank Ronald Scans. Yeah, it sounds better to me. Um, um, that's yeah, yeah. The, go ahead. Yeah, okay. No, I feel like that might be a little too common. Where are you on a scance versus a sconce, Matt Blaze? I've heard the word. You've heard the word. I don't know if I knew the meaning. Of yeah, it, but you I know what? Heard about it. Uh, yeah, so it means basically to sideways or distrustfully or skeptically. He looked askance at uh, someone who did the. Yeah, I'm not going to include it. Not including it. Uh, last one, then we'll move on here. Uh, Tom in Mineola. Hello, Tom. Hi, Frank. Uh, you know, I'm calling because I think there's a word that's being used in the language. It's already happened fairly recently, and I think it's incorrect. I don't think it's a word. 
the word that I'm talking about is instinctually. Have you heard that being used? I have, and it's not a real word? I don't know. I was going to ask you. It doesn't seem to me to be a real word. I mean, I think of instinctive or instinct or, you know, can be used. It's uh, in the dictionary. It's in the dictionary. Instinctually. It is, is, along with instinctively. Yeah, yeah. That's... uh, that that was would be the one that I would uh, prefer is instinctively. Yeah, me too. Instinctually, it just doesn't sound like proper English. Yeah. I don't know. You're right. Well, a lot of times, uh, and thank you for the call, Tom. Thank a lot of times, if you use a word for a long time incorrectly, that eventually becomes the way that the word is used. So sometimes. The people that use the word or the phrase, the best example is I could care less, which makes no sense. But people have been using it for years. So now it's considered an acceptable alternative to I couldn't care less. But don't get me started on that whole category. I always hated that. Me too. I could care less. Me too. But okay. well, now the word literally doesn't even mean literally That's right. anymore. That's right. And, and same thing with flammable and, uh, and inflammable. All right. Um, moving on. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to comment on anything else, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Moreno, seventy-seven WABC. Buddy Holly, Weezer. Uh, by the way, I want to thank Lee Mason, uh, who's a wonderful lady. I'm flattered that she still listens to the show. She used to work here. Uh, she used to be John Bachelor's producer for a long time. She's, she, she is a wordsmith. You listen to her speak, and you think, okay, that's how people should really be speaking. And so she informed me that um, that uh, do, what I what I called doyen should really be pronounced. Doyen, and that's a French word. Um, and she also says ignominious is not a rare word. It means disgraceful. Um, you know what, though? We still didn't know what it is. So I'm putting it on the list. Uh, and then she agrees with the Philippe pronunciation of ennui. She does. She says it's simply a French word. And this is somebody that knows what, she, what she's talking about, unlike, um, unlike the rest of us. Um, and then, uh, and then she had a couple of other mild corrections, but I'm not going to go through. Uh, she says, "Peregrinate isn't especially rare." Now, yes, it is. Maybe it's not rare in her circles; it's rare in mine. So, I am <laughs> driving home yesterday, and. Well, so I told you recently, in addition to the American flag, we put up the New York state flag in front of our house. And I'm hoping to get a trend started. I hope everybody puts up a New York state flag. You know, Curtis Lewa, one of the many things that I like about him is the moniker that he's been living by his whole life. And this was taught to him by his father. His parents, by the way, were the last two white people in all of Canarsie. I'm not joking. 
um, I'd visit his parents with him, and they were the last two white people there surrounded by West Indians. And really? I would ask Curtis, well, you know, I, you know, how did that come to be? And she said, well, he, Curtis said, when I was growing up here, this neighborhood was all Italian, all Irish. And then gradually it became increasingly West Indian, and they all moved out. And I said, well, how come your parents stayed? He says, because my dad's philosophy has always been improve, don't move. And that is what Curtis adopted during the mayoral campaign. And that's my philosophy. And for some reason, uh, I, I don't get the sense that people embrace their state or their city that way. I see in my neighborhood a lot of patriotism. A lot of people ha- are flying the New York State flag. But I don't see a lot of people flying the New York – excuse me. I see a lot of people flying the American flag, but I don't see a lot of people flying the New York State or the New York City flag. When, in my view, I'm just as much as proud to be a New Yorker as I am an American. Is this a perfect city or a state? No. But you know what? It's not a perfect country either. So I'm trying to make fashionable again what in the 1790s was so common, which is a love of your state. Is there a word, by the way? Maybe somebody can offer this. Is there a word that means patriotism when applied to a city or a state? Call me if you know it. 800-848-WABC. So I'm trying to make love of state and fly in that New York state passionate again, because I feel like if people feel invested in the future of their state, maybe they'll want to improve it and fix it. Whereas if they think, ah, I can move to Jersey or Florida or the Carolinas or Pennsylvania or Arizona, then they won't work as hard to fix their state or improve their community as they will to improve their country. So I'm on the, uh, I'm on my, uh, my front porch with my wife and uh, my son yesterday and our neighbors come home. They're great people. We have one guy who lives across the street, very nice guy. And then his mom lives across the street from him. She lives next door to us. And it's great. We have wonderful neighbors. And he said to me, what prompted, what inspired you guys to put up the New York state flag? And I'm thinking to myself, when I was driving home this morning, I passed not one but two cars that had the Ukrainian flag painted on the rear windshield. Two separate cars. One was just the Ukrainian flag, the blue and yellow, and the other was the Ukrainian flag in the shape of a heart. And I I have to know, how do people decide when something happens that they're going to change their Facebook profile photo to the colors of another flag, right? It's really, I mean, I don't even like the term virtue signaling, but it's virtue signaling. By putting up the Ukrainian flag or changing your Facebook photo to have the Ukrainian flag on there, you're making sure that everybody knows that you're one of the good guys. It's virtue signaling. I am not doing that. And I've never liked that because there's a lot of countries that are dealing with oppression right now. And I don't see everybody throwing those countries' flags on their car or changing their Facebook um, profile photo to the colors of that flag. So somebody sent this to me. I honestly don't remember who it was. My thanks to whomever it was, if you're listening. This is a video that I found online. It's on the YouTube 
I'm going to link to it on uh, on on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Morano fan. I, I found it hilarious. Now, we had to edit it slightly. It's short. It's only 25 seconds. But um, I, because of um, some mild profanity. But uh, I'm going to link to it, and I hope you'll watch it with the profanity. It's from, um, I think the Twitter user is Exposed Tyranny. And I think the person speaking is Misha McCourtney Paulin. This is uh, this is the video. So I painted my nails blue and yellow in support of Ukraine. And the manicurist is like, why not paint your nails red, black and white in support of Yemen? And I'm like, what the f- is a Yemen? And she goes, Yemen is a country in the Middle East experiencing a horrific war and the world's worst humanitarian crisis led by Saudi Arabia and backed by the United States. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like those colors. <laughs> How great is that? Because it's true. You see these Ukrainian flags everywhere. You see these women with Ukrainian nail polish. Where are the where's the Yemeni flags? Where's the Yemeni nail polish? Let me hear that again. So I painted my nails blue and yellow in support of Ukraine. And the manicurist is like, why not paint your nails red, black and white in support of Yemen? And I'm like, what the f- Yemen. And she goes, Yemen is a country in the Middle East experiencing a horrific war and the world's worst humanitarian crisis led by Saudi Arabia and backed by the United States. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like those colors. Virtue signaling in style. I just linked to the video. I thought it was very funny. Now, on a much more serious note, I will get to your calls in a second, but on a much more serious note uh, on the Ukraine front, I, three months ago, I played you the clip we're about to play for you. It's from uh, Fox News Sunday, Harris Faulkner interviewing Condoleezza Rice. And this revealed the unbearable absurdity of U.S. discourse on the Eastern European question and the people who are leading it. Now, I never thought for a second that I would hear anything more absurd than Condoleezza Rice and what she says here. Listen to what Condoleezza Rice says here in this clip. Well, and I have argued that when you invade a sovereign nation, that is a war crime. <laughs> I mean, I think we're at, at, at just a real basic, basic point there. Well, um, I agree. It is certainly against every principle of international law and international order. And that's why Throwing the book at them now in terms of economic sanctions mm-hmm. and punishments is also a part of it. And I think the world is there. Uh, certainly NATO is there. He's, he's managed to unite NATO in ways that I didn't think I would ever see again after the end of the Cold War. Really? Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Did you hear that? You have Harris Faulkner, who's look, a nice lady, um, and Condoleezza Rice essentially saying that when you invade a sovereign nation, it is a war crime? I mean, really? What planet am I living on? What did they do in Iraq? Not not Harris Faulkner, but Condoleezza Rice. When she was National Security Advisor and um, and Secretary of State, we didn't invade a sovereign nation? By the Condoleezza Rice doctrine, as articulated by Harris Faulkner, isn't that a war crime? So th- I thought that that 25 seconds so perfectly encapsulated how crazy the world we're living in is, is the very people who committed by their own definition a war crime of an Iraq invasion are now 
critical of what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. That was, my friends, until a few hours ago. Because a few hours ago, I heard a piece of audio that so perfectly captures the absurdity and the deceit of our current discourse. It's hard to believe this actually happened. This is the kind of thing that if you put it in a Saturday Night Live skit, people would laugh and then say, oh, come on, that would never happen. What you're about to hear actually happened. This is the universe speaking loudly here. Former President George W. Bush said this. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. (laughs) Iraq, too. Anyway. uh, (laughs) 75. Uh... I I was speechless. The perfect Freudian slip, if ever there was one. Um, He says, the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. I mean, if he wasn't describing what he himself did there, I don't know what he was talking about. He actually said the words Iraq. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. Um, we will continue the uh, the Gallimaufry of a program that we are doing this morning and take your calls in just a second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. You and I in a little toy show. Buy a bag of balloons with the money we've got. Set them free at the break of dawn. To one by one, they were gone. Back at base, box in the software. Flash the message, something's out there. Love Balloons by Nina. I believe this there was they're considered sort of a one-hit wonder. It is a great song, though. I really enjoy this song. 
800 So I, I discovered that word that I was looking for that means third to last. It's anti-penultimate. Anti-penultimate. Thank you. Uh, very interesting. All right. A couple of things that we're going to get to. Um, one, Saturday. It's my brother Nick's bachelor party. Uh, so apparently the the marquee aspect of it is we're going to play softball in Brooklyn from 10 a.m. to 2. And uh, that, you know, I'm looking forward to playing. I love softball. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, some nice weather. It's supposed to be warm, but I could take it. And uh, I'm actually triple booked for Saturday. So I have to um, tell the people that are expecting me at those other plans that I can't make that. I'm also double booked for tonight. I have to... Remind that other person. Maybe I'll do that. So you know what it is? I I like not having long commercial breaks because then we don't lose a lot of listeners. But it's those two or three minute breaks that I would remember to tell people that, oh, I can't see you then, can't see you then. Now it's like I'm always in show mode. But um, so my brother, my my wife asked me, what are you doing after softball? You guys going out to eat or something? I said, I think so. And so I ask my brother Alexander, who's very close to the vest on all this stuff, who was one of the people that I thought was organizing this. And he said, no, Nick, that's a fellow that's getting married. Nick's friends are organizing it. They really haven't told me anything. So um, Nick's friends are planning the rest of it, but they haven't disclosed any details. I said, "Um, well, that's not right. And also, what if it rains? What are we going to do? And he says, no idea. I'll see if I can get more details. His friends have been really obnoxious about the whole thing. So I said, all right, if his friends won't tell Alex, maybe they told Nick. So I asked Nick, whose bachelor party this is. I said, Nick, what's the story? What are we doing after softball on on Saturday? And he said, Alex should know the details. Can you ask him? I don't know the details. I said, I asked him. He says he doesn't know. My friends say they told him everything. So you know who the big loser in this whole situation is going to be me. It's going to be me. I can already see how this is going to go. There's clearly something going on afterwards that I am not aware of. And then I'll go to it, right? I'll bring a change of clothes, change at one of their apartments in Brooklyn. They both live in Brooklyn. And um, I'll go to it. And I'll end up staying out way too late. And my wife is going to kill me. For staying out too late and not informing her of what my anticipated return time home is. My wife's a very patient woman, but one of the things she really doesn't like is me just disappearing for hours and not and not telling her, you know, that this was the case from the get-go. So I can already see how this is going to go. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. By the way, so they're getting married in Hawaii, Nicholas and his fiancée, Kat. Um, so, I, you know, I get my tickets out there and I get my uh, room and everything. And we took him for our traditional premarital sibling dinner, which we paid for. And I'm sure we're going to pay for the bachelor party. They have a wedding website, right? And they have said, they've adamantly said no gifts. Now, is that for real? Should I really not get a gift? I'm thinking yes, because they made a big thing. And there's there's a FAQ section on their website. Are we serious about the no gifts? Yes. So I think I'm not getting them a gift. And I think that's the protocol with a lot of destination weddings. So um, those of you that are holding, we'll take your calls in just a second. Uh, Dave Damiani joins me for the AC report in about a half hour. Until then, keep asking questions. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, still no winner in that uh, Pennsylvania Republican U.S. Senate primary. Uh, we'll keep you posted on if there's anything about that. But they're saying that there could be a recount there that might take weeks. So we'll see. I don't know if that puts the Republicans at a disadvantage in that whoever wins can't really unify the party and their donors for the general election campaign when the um, Democrats can. Also, very interesting... Um, did you see what the stock market did yesterday? The There was a Wall Street bloodbath. The Dow Jones was down over 1,100 points. And the thing, when you see a dip like this, you always wonder, is it a buying opportunity? I mean, I'm not exactly flush with cash at the moment myself, but is it a buying opportunity or is it going to go down further, farther? And you really never know, right? Um, Hey, there was one interesting survey that I saw. Seven in ten young adults would rather have pets than children. Now, this is Generation Z. That's the generation after millennials. I think these are people born after 1995 or six. I mean, different lists have them different ways. Generation Z... um, Many of them don't want to have kids, and a new poll reveals that 7 in 10 of them would rather adopt a pet than have their own children. So Generation Z adults aren't the only ones choosing pets over people. Millennials are as well. In a survey of 1,000 pet owners commissioned by Consumer Affairs, researchers found that 57% of millennials love their pet more than their own sibling. Half of them said the same thing about their mother, and 30% choose a pet over their significant other. Now, I find that hard to believe, honestly. 30% of them love their pet more than their significant other. Overall, 81% of millennial pet owners say they love their pet more than at least one family member. That's not the case with baby boomers. Uh, That's not the case with Generation X. And here's what's interesting. Cat owners were slightly more likely to choose their pet over a relative than dog owners. What do you think that's about? I thought that was pretty interesting. Tell me if you buy that. uh, 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. There was another interesting piece that um, a listener sent me. Another new study that shows cats can remember other cats' names, according to a new study. While most cat parents will probably disagree, cats often have the reputation of being aloof and standoffish. But this new study published in Scientific Reports, it's a real scientific publication, has found that cats are listening to their parents pretty closely. 
So in the study of household and cafe cats who live in groups of three or more, scientists from Kyoto University and other institutions in Japan have discovered that cats living in a home can learn to recognize each other's names and may even recognize names of family members also. I'm curious if you think that's true. Because I sent that article to my wife, and she wrote back to me, when I say one cat's name, the others look at me or come to me. So I don't know if that's indicative that they do know the other cat's names. Oh, you know, Beth Sheba will say, oh, why are you calling Melky? Why aren't you calling me? Or uh, if she's calling Melky, maybe that means there's treats about to be distributed. Maybe I'll come down. But in one study... Each cat listened to a voice recording of their human parent calling a cat's name, and immediately after, they were shown pictures on a monitor of cats they knew and others they didn't know. On average, household cats spent a longer time looking at the monitor when the name being called and the photo didn't match. What does that mean? Only household cats anticipated a specific cat face upon hearing the cat's name, suggesting that they matched the stimulus cat's name and the specific individual. Um, In the second experiment, cats were challenged on whether they could recognize the names of their humans. And much like the first experiment, cats from larger households tended to stare longer at the facial images of unnamed people, suggesting they already know the names of their cat parents. So to increase the likelihood of your cat knowing your name, scientists suggests, suggest hanging out with him as much as possible, since the more time a cat parent spends with their kitty, uh, the better cats can remember their human's name. I found that pretty interesting. You know, I used to, when I was on in the mornings, and even sometimes at night, when I would talk about my cats by name and use their names, Rachel would send me video of them listening. And she would say, I wonder if these cats know their names or know that you're talking about them on the radio because they know your voice and they know their names. And I think they do know that you're talking about them. So I found that uh, I found that fascinating. And then the last cat-related story, actually, the penultimate cat-related story that I had on my list here. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring up the other one, but why not? If anything, it gives me an excuse to use the word penultimate. Cat care is going through the roof. Um, the Wall Street Journal has a fascinating story. In what the Wall Street Journal calls a new moment for an industry traditionally dominated by dogs, the pet care world is finally seeing a swell, which uh, that fella didn't think we used that word anymore, seeing a swell in demand for high-end cat care. Cat owners are willing to pay for services from daycare to baths and exercise to social stimulation, and even a little time at the spa, the Wall Street Journal says. Luxury cat hotels are springing up to meet this demand. One chain, the Happy Cat Hotel, has three locations and others that, excuse me, and is offering more opportunity for franchising. Jacques 
up, the owner of Pet Agree Mobile Grooming in Bismarck is booked 10 weeks out with a waiting list a dozen pages long. The only certified feline master groomer in North Dakota. He currently, uh, She currently has 257 clients, and she has stopped accepting new ones. So the bottom line is the dogs aren't the only ones benefiting from the pandemic-era adoption enthusiasm. Now that uh, a lot of folks have fallen in love with our new pets, there's nothing that we won't do, do for them, including high-end luxury cat care. So if you want to comment on any of those, one, the study shows that uh, j- young people prefer pets to people and would prefer to have a pet instead of a child. Two, cats can remember not only one another's names, but their parents' names. And three, the explosion in high-end cat care costs. 800-848-WABC, two open lines if you want to comment. You can comment on um, anything else we've brought up as well. Oh, meantime, do you have that piece of audio that I asked for? All right, so this is this fella, Rob, uh, that called into Curtis complaining that I never gave him a hat or something. This is a little bit, I played this on Monday, this is a little bit of him on Sunday. Let's go to Robert calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Robert. Hey, hi, Curtis. Listen, uh, let me stray off the topic for a moment, please. Go go for it. Go for it. Frank. Go for it, Rob. Okay. I won a, the consolation prize from Frank Morano's $1,000 uh yeah, they, I'm you, still waiting for the consolation prize. It's over three weeks. All right, so we get wow. the point. So he was complaining that he didn't get his consolation prize. So he emails me yesterday. And very respectful email, very nice email. And he included, it was a very funny email too. He included a photo of him wearing the hat that he won from Curtis. And he says, hiya, Frank. I'm sorry I do not recollect the date of the $1,000 trivia contest. It's been a good three-odd weeks at least. Gosh, you went through different screeners, so I cannot even remember who was, quote, working the boards that night. If it helps, I got tripped up on answering Governor Patterson. I wrongly guessed Pataki. I believe it was question six or seven. Sorry, that's about all I can help with, though I did mention you. I'm from the Throg's Neck section of the Bronx. So I send this email to our promotions director, Jake the Snake Roberts, and essentially he says, um, no, I have no record of him winning, just wearing, just, the only record I have of him is winning that Curtis hat that he's wearing. What do you think we should do? I have no problem sending him a hat, but the prize he's claiming he won, he gets a gift card. Uh, No, he doesn't, I don't think. Do you want me to reach out to him? So my view is this. He already got the Curtis hat. He's clearly having a lot of fun at my expense calling other radio shows, complaining that he's not getting this hat. We don't have a record of him, although I do remember a question about Pataki and Patterson. And who knows if it was Philippe that bungled that or Avery Brooks or Molly or even uh, Alex Barnard. We don't know. But Jake the Snake has no record of it. So 
I almost I don't think he should get a consolation prize. I feel like he's getting more mileage out of not getting the prize than if we sent him his hat. So I said, meh, he already got his Curtis hat. So my inclination is not to go out of our way to give him this prize because maybe he didn't win, and that's why we have no record of it. Everyone else seems to be getting their hats. And two, you know, he's clearly thrown down his lot with Team Curtis. All right. If you have a different view, you're welcome to offer it. If you want to comment on Cats, 800-848-WABC. We're going to talk Atlantic City with Dave Damiani in just a minute. 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank. Hello, Jeff. Four quick things. First, I heard a word today, impute, a verb, impute. Do you know that verb? Impute, I-M-P-U-T-E? That sounds like it's spelled, yeah. I, I don't think I know it. I think it was, it was the context was attributing to other people like their like you know their motives or is, I, I've yet to look at myself so there's a word for us. Um, secondly, we're going to enjoy Corinne Jean Pierre or Marie whatever her name is because so many years she's not been challenged. She says her you know working for the other groups they always yes her. So when when Ducey asks her questions now, her usual answers won't fly. As as we saw today, yesterday, yesterday, and Frank. Hello. Yeah, I'm listening, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, the, the definitely uh, Butch was definitely a Freudian slip. And lastly, I'd appreciate it if you would time your game with someone who knows the answers, and you ask the question at the same pace. You will see it, it can't be done. It almost, it almost. I know it's been done once or twice, but 60 seconds maybe it should be 75. Or ninety seconds. I, I, see, Another I disagree, Jeff. I do, I do test the questions out, and um, and you can answer the questions in sixty seconds. You can, you can. Uh, I, you know, you, you, they can be answered. It's tough, but you can. The guy yesterday almost did it. Had he not gotten tripped up on one of those questions, he would have done it. He got seven right in sixty seconds. He could have done it. He could have done it. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Bobby in. By the way, I'm waiting for these cat commenters. Where are the cat commenters? Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Bobby in Rahway has been holding a while. Hello, Bobby. Actually, it's Rockaway, but that's all right. Uh, um, uh, Frank, I understand you're loquacious. Uh, uh, would you allow me to speak for a moment? Thank you. Uh, your jocularity is stimulating. Although I, I would prefer to be a little more. At this moment, uh, sometimes I get uh, bumfuddled, uh, so you might have to explain things to me. Um, I also decided that uh, the other words were you for a better word for the city, how you love the city, and uh, I've decided to stay in New York myself in the city. Great. Uh, I have a fealty uh, for the uh, for the city, you know, for New York, and um, I'm my eccentric um, when it when it comes. Yeah, well, unfortunately, because our phones are still screwed up, your phone connection kept cutting out, and we didn't hear all the words. So it was a very clever phone call, but unfortunately, we didn't get to hear a lot of it. All right, well, I don't want to repeat it, but I'm just saying the words that I was looking for, I mean, we're saying is, you know, loquacious, you know, sometimes. Loquacious. loquacious. Got it. Although, um, although Curtis is a little more colloquious, if you know what I mean. Oh, colloquious. Um, got it. Not colloquious, just loquacious. Okay, got it. You mean it means it means fun. You know? 
um, and jocularity is jocularity and uh, bum fuzzles uh, means you feel like perplexed you don't understand things that's kind of me you know um, the other thing is uh, fealty towards New York City you're looking for a word that you love the city yeah but fealty fealty is not unique to locations fealty no you know is any sort of a loyalty true 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 yes, 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 that's true okay I get that the other thing I want to say is, are you white who's hanging the pictures of that alien tape? I don't like that alien tape myself. I use yeah. the manuscript, so well, those work better. Yeah, yeah, well, I think you're right, Bobby. So it's peeling the paint off the wall, and I hear her. I was in, Saturday night, I was in a room with one friend. We were watching uh, in the background. You know how you can watch a movie that you've seen before and put it on in the background and not pay attention to it and just look up occasionally? So we have on Easy Money. The Rodney Dangerfield film, a classic, and filmed where we live. So it's fun. You recognize all the locations. And I just hear my wife in another room with my friend Vinny's daughter. And I, I know they're doing something. And I just hear my wife yelling, basically groaning in frustration. And I said, and R- Vinny says, well, what is that? About? I said, I don't know. I don't want to know. I just hope it's something that I can't be blamed for. And I hope it's something that I didn't do. So. Lo and behold, it was something that I did, but I did it three years ago. Because I had purchased that alien tape three years ago, I was at fault for this alien tape taking the paint off our walls. So think of that. When when I first got this alien tape, it wasn't good enough to hang things up because it wasn't sticky enough. And then two years or three years later, it was too sticky. It was peeling paint off walls. It's, a, it's the worst of both worlds. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Chris in North Babylon. Hello, Chris. How you doing? Uh, I'll be honest. I'm a first-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, welcome. Um, yep. So uh, you mentioned something about, about cats getting luxury uh, hotels and, and grooming and all this wonderful stuff for cats. Um, so now I've been a cat lover for the better part of 45 years. I'm 47. Uh, and I think it's wonderful that cats are finally getting their, their moment in the sun, so to speak. It's good. It, we should take care of our, our, our furry friends. Um, I've had a cat, American Short Hair. She uh, passed away a couple of years ago. She lived to be 21. So, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing that people are finally catering to cats. Why do you think it took so long? Uh, well, I, I, I think cats have gotten, uh, you know, an underrating for, for a very long time. I mean, cats were really revered back back way back in the uh, in, in, in ancient Egypt. They, cats were revered. They were considered protectors. Um, then dogs came into the picture, and a man's best friend because dogs could, could hunt, could protect humans and everything else, and cats kind of fell to the wayside. I think it finally came full circle now. It's 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 about time. Cats are very low maintenance. They practically take care of themselves. All you guys do is change their litter and make sure they're fed. And um, you know, a cat will be your best friend as long as you take care of it correctly. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have grown uh, to appreciate the three cats that we have very much, even though I was more of a dog person. But I, I think you're right. Look, and clearly a lot of people are seeing the world your way. Chris, thanks for the call, and thanks for calling. I uh, hope you'll make listening a habit now. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I heard you mention your problems with the phone again, and I, I want to tell you, we had the same thing at my work. Uh, I work for Schubert, they have 18 theaters. Over the last eight to 10 years, every one of those theaters has lost their phone. And same thing, first it started clicking, then it just went out. They don't have any more wires, copper wires to fix your phone. I don't think you're ever going to get it fixed. They're trying to get everyone to go to wireless-based home phones, meaning it's kind of like cell tower. Right. But you have you have a box in your home. You, you plug in your regular wired phone to that. But we they just gave us 18 cell phones and said, here, these, you know, we're Verizon cell phones, but we're, we can't fix it. We have no more wires. We're not putting any more money into the wires. They're all corroded underneath the, the, the ground. And they're just not replacing them. There's no additional wire for them to give you a better wire. I refuse to accept that, Rick. I refuse to accept that. <laughs> I'm just telling you what they tell me for the last 10 years. Every time we were screaming, why can't we get our phones fixed? Well, come Monday, um, if we don't have the phones fixed, no more phone calls. No more guests by phone. No more callers by phone. You know what? If you have a creative idea for how we can do four hours a day, every day, without phone calls, email me. Because come Monday, that's what we're doing. Um, I am – it's, it's killing me. It, I, you know what? I was – I almost – I was so upset because when we had Martha Byrne the, on the other day t- telling that moving story about her husband, I said, I want everybody to hear this interview. And then, you know, I started to send it to a bunch of folks, and I, I did end up sending it. But I was a little embarrassed that here we are, you know, the most listened to talk station in the world. And Verizon can't even give us a phone line where it's not clicking and dropping like crazy. It so takes away from what she's saying. It's almost like watching a really good film back in the days when you had bootleg VHS tapes. And you see somebody's somebody's head pop up in the theater or something. It's just not meant to be watched that way. And this show is not meant to be listened to that way, where people get constantly cut off every every third word. That poor guy thought he was so clever coming up with all those words for that phone call just now. And nobody understood a word he said. 800-848-WABC. Mary Beth is on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Hi. um, I had another comment make but just listening to what you said about the phone lines dropping i mean into astrology and mercury is retrograde now and that means communication problems are crazy so i think verizon will fix this but in a few maybe two weeks when mercury goes out of retrograde so that's just hopeful i hope so that is something to look forward to Okay, so um, my other comment relates to what you said about your brother's wedding, and I I realize that you're flying to Hawaii for the wedding, and that that is a huge expense. But I, whenever I get invitations, or we get invitations to weddings, and people say, you know, no gifts, I always panic because number one, I 
I feel I must buy a gift for such, you know, a momentous occasion. But also, you took it so well, and you were like, okay, well, we're flying, you know, all the way to Hawaii, so that's the gift. And in a sense, I can understand that. But also, I wonder if couples really mean that. And if you don't give a gift, if somewhere along the line it's going to be held against you. I mean, that's how I think. I wish I could be as relaxed as you were about that. Well, you know, know, it's only because they were so adamant in on their wedding website about, um, you know, about uh, not giving gifts. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, uh, it, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll see what my other two siblings are going to do. So it, we'll see what happens. Get them a small gift. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you're right. How much do you think? Oh gosh, I hate when people say that because I don't know your monetary situation. But I mean, this is your brother, and he may not hold it against you. But I don't know how you well know, how well you know her. Might she hold it against you? Well, you know, your brother and his wife didn't give us a gift and he could say well it says on our website yeah but we didn't get a gift i mean a wedding yeah i don't see I, I don't think they would uh, do that i don't I, I honestly don't i mean who knows maybe 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 you're right we'll see 800-848-WABC that's 800-848-9222 a different al is in manhattan hello different al hey frank what's it going you tell me oh, i'm going to tell you frank if you're going to go to your brother's wedding, put 2500 in the envelope. No 2500 That would bounce. No, no, that's a check. Uh-huh. In cash. You didn't let me finish. There's some people that give checks and they bounce. And, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Nonsense. If it's your son, you give him 5000 Or you pay for the wedding, if it's your daughter, like I just did. So that's what we do. Give cash. Don't bring no, and don't bring a blender. Uh, well, I'm not going to bring a blend, blender to Hawaii, Al. Oh, I'm just making a point. And yeah. not everybody gets married in Hawaii, right? Well, I know, but so that's now. that's why, because it's a destination wedding, and that because they specifically asked no get, gift because they recognize the expense that everyone's going to to get there, I, I think that's why it's a different situation than just a normal, you know, a normal wedding. So I reiterate, 2500 in the envelope. Stick that cash in there. That's number one. Number two, I hate cats. I like dogs. And I got news for you. Anybody that doesn't like a dog, don't trust them. What do you say on the air? If you got three names, don't trust them. Well, if you, if you have anybody that doesn't like dogs, don't trust them, Frank. Get rid of them. Run away from them. Well, and here's my final thought, Frank. I want to know what happened on the 1st of May, the 15th of May, the 24th of April, I'm still here. Well, I thought the world was going to explode. Well, no, he never said the world was going to explode. But tomorrow, Dr. Turi is going to be back. So we're going to review those predictions and see how they uh, turned out. I don't know where Al thinks I'm getting uh, $2,500 in cash from. <laughs> I wish I had $2,500 in cash. Outrageous. Uh, Cindy's in Peekskill. Hello, Cindy. Hi, how are you? I um. I see feral cats, and uh, when I call, I call them all kitty. They all come to kitty. But when I pull into the parking lot to feed them, they know my car. Really? That's interesting. I, I've never heard of that, but I guess that makes oh, yeah. sense. Oh, yeah. When they see me pull in, they come out from the bushes or whatever, 
and then I feed other ones into, I go into the woods and I feed other ones and they know I'm coming and I can hear them. Yeah. They, they're, they're a lot keener, their scent and everything uh, and their sight, I think, because they live outdoors. That when I go to walk, I can hear them off in the woods, meow, you know, meowing at me to, like, hurry up. Um, I also have my own cat, and um, unfortunately, I had to put one of them down uh, a week and a half ago. Oh, I'm and, sorry. I know uh, how difficult that is. I'm sorry about that. Oh, it is. But um, one of my cats, his name is Good Boy. He loved Stash like crazy. I mean, he walked with him. He curled his tail around his. And What, Stash is another one of your cats? No, Stash is the one that passed. All right. Okay. Good Boy. Oh, Good Boy, good boy was, loves Stash. Oh, loved him. Gotcha. Loved okay. Stash. Gotcha. And... Um, he was has been out of sorts. He's not eating well. Mm. Uh, if I if I say the name Stash, he looks around. He'll look under the bed. He looks in the closet. Um, they they know they they know each. If I call any of them, I mean, a lot of people call their pets babies. They're babies. So you say babies, they all come. But um, I. I I've been listening to you about your other cat that's not doing well. Is he doing better? Uh, well, yeah, we're supposed to get his blood work back today. So hopefully uh, there's some good news there. But, uh, but yeah, so far so good. Well, you were talking about the cat carrier. And you probably have a front loader. There's ones that you can buy where you can front load them or you can load them in from the top. It, um, you just pinch it and you open up, there's a flap up on top and all you have to do is scruff them by the back of their neck and drop them into the, into the, um, the carrier. It's so much easier. Well, my wife has gotten pretty good at this, but I'll suggest that one as well. Uh, Cindy, thank you for the call. And uh, again, I'm sorry about your cat. The AC report, uh, we're going to go live to Atlantic city straight ahead. Talk radio 77 WABC. This is the AC Report. Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. And they blew up his house, too. Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on a promenade And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth Everything dies, baby, that's a fact But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back Put your makeup on, fish your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Well, it is time for our weekly look at one of the most interesting communities in America. That's Atlantic City, and every week... 
We explore different aspects of Atlantic City. Last week, we focused on politics and government and sports a little bit. Previously, we've talked about gambling itself, which is a big part of Atlantic City. We've talked about the museums of Atlantic City. We've talked about the um, culinary world of Atlantic City. We've talked about the history of Atlantic City. Today, we are going to have a look at one aspect of Atlantic City that far too often gets overlooked and that is the music of Atlantic City. I'm very very pleased to be joined by someone who's not only a very talented um musician and singer and musical producer but somebody whose incredible contributions to the musical history of Atlantic City have already been felt. If you when when my wife and I drive into Atlantic City, I've told you this before. There are 5 Atlantic City sort of themed songs that we listen to as we cross the border into Atlantic City. The song that you just heard by the band is one. And the other has just magical lyrics that are so descriptive of what makes Atlantic City so special and so telling of Atlantic City's history that you just have to listen to the lyrics. Listen to this song. It's called It's Pure AC. When the sun starts to shine, leave your worries behind. Down the coastline is where I'll be. On the boardwalk in a car, resorts is where we start. It's where I left my heart, it's AC. Either Docks or Irish Pub. Docks, Irish Pub. White House House Sub Shop. Tony's Tony's Baltimore Grill. Pass three. Sneak into a lifeguard stand. Watch the sunrise from the sand. We'll hold each other's hand in AC. That's right, it's pure AC, and the person responsible. Uh, for that song is the one and only Dave Damiani. He's a good friend of mine and a very talented musician who I've had the privilege of seeing in person uh, many, many times. Singer, songwriter, uh, producer. Dave, thanks so much for uh, getting up early on the radio with us. Thanks for having me, Frank. It's cool, man. Thanks for the for the lead in too. I mean, I it's, it's great. I don't actually listen to that song enough anymore. I mean, I listen to it from time to time, but Sometimes you just, you know, you just forget. It's awesome, though, to hear it. Well, I appreciate and, it. And it is, it is on the jukebox at the Irish Pug, is it not? Uh, the Irish Pub, is it not? 9201, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, believe me, I uh, I always look for I remember the last time I tried to go in there and put it on, uh, they yelled at me. They said, no, we're watching this. This It was a sporting event or something. We're watching this game. Don't put the jukebox on. Uh, but I tried. I did try. Hey, um, what? Uh, what? And that is, by the way, that song that we just played was named the official anthem of Atlantic City by the former mayor of Atlantic City, Don Guardian. What prompted you to write that? Did you write it in anticipation of uh, one of your many Atlantic City performances? Or what was it all about? Well, when I was doing... You know, I had had a, a residency at this Dante Hall for a while, which was part of a little theater owned by Stockton University right down the street from uh, White House. And um, we were just saying, me and my buddy Alex at the time, who he, he co-wrote that song with me, um, 
former musical director for the No Vacancy Orchestra. We were just hanging all the time. And we said, man, we're doing all these shows in Atlantic City. And we really didn't really feel like that there was a song appropriate for me to sing like a big band type of song. So we just said, let's write our own, you know, and we just got together one day and we just wrote our own. Well, that's neat. And you did a great job. I still listen to it all the time. I know you uh, have family that's still out east here, but you make your home in Los Angeles these days. What, um, what was your experience growing up going to Atlantic City? Did you frequent Atlantic City as a child or was it not something that you became um, a fan of until you were a little older? My father was like one of the original, like, Big time comp gamblers. Like he would go down to Atlantic City when we were kids, and we would literally stay at the Sands. We would stay at the Trump Plaza. We would stay at uh, you know, you name it, resorts. My father had like everywhere. I mean, like we would just go down there, and he would give us a card, and me and my sister at the time would just go to like wherever we wanted in the casino and eat for free. It was silly, and as kids, we did that, and then. Um, you know, and I, we hung out Atlantic City growing up. We went down to Wildwood a lot. We went down to, you know, Ocean City once in a while from time to time. But learning how to gamble and hanging out with my dad, um, I don't know why. I just got involved in, like, craps and blackjack and, I mean, at a very young age. It, it's, you know, when we and I just would go down there and just, like, gamble with my dad. Even before I, I was old enough to get in the casinos, I would sneak in. <laughs> and uh, I just loved it. I always loved Atlantic City. And then, you know, I'd see movies. I saw a movie called The Pickup Artist. With, I don't know if you remember that movie. Oh, with, uh, Robert, Downey Robert Downey Jr. Jr. Absolutely. Love that film. And then the Atlantic City movie with Burt Lancaster and uh, Wise Guys with Joe Piscopo and Danny DeVito. And we would stay in Margate, right up the boardwalk and look at the look at the places that were in the movie. And, you know, I, I just as a, I always was fascinated with Atlantic City. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, same, same. That that's the thing about Atlantic City is you can't always explain why it's so fascinating, but you certainly know that it is fascinating. We're talking with Dave Damiani. Uh, if you want to learn more about him, uh, see where he's performing or hear some of his music, you can go to his website, DaveDamiani.com. That's D A M. IANI.com. He's performed with a lot of the greats, including the uh, the late great Bobby Rydell. You know, it's funny, uh, Dave, You, I saw you and Bobby Rydell perform in Atlantic City at the uh, the Ocean Resort a couple of years ago. Uh, what was it like to work with Bobby Rydell? You guys had a, a terrific collaboration of a song together. What was he like as a, as a musician and as a person? Well, it's funny. I was just in Philadelphia last night outside with all his old friends. He just passed away, and and uh, he had a bunch of buddies that he would get together with every Wednesday night. A bunch of Italian guys that were grew up in South Philly, and they still get together every like every week. And they invited me to be part of the crew last night, and I went with I went with them, and we hung out, and and we talked about Bobby and. You know, he he was a he was a good he was a good good guy. I met him and I and I couldn't believe first off, I said I said this last night and I'm I'm not even I'm not even exaggerating. He had a lot of health problems. He had a liver transplant, he had mm. transplant, he had open heart surgery. He died at about seventy, I think seventy four, seventy five years old. Seventy six maybe I think he was. He was the best singer 
male singer I've ever worked with. Um, and I've worked with some people that, I mean, if I gave you the list, you'd say, wow, Bobby Rydell. And I said, I, you know, it's, he still sounded great right up until the end. The guy was a talented musician. He was a drummer. He played drums on Sway. We did we did a duet on Sway together, and I said, "Bobby, you got to you got to play drums on one of these." And talked him into doing it with me, and and talked him into doing another song that he showed me called "You Got to Enjoy Joy," which mm. was the theme of the Milton Girl show, which was just a, such a cool song that not a lot of people know. And his musical knowledge—I mean, this guy was a star from 15, 16 years old all the way through the time he died. He never had an actual. <laughs> He never punched a time card. He never did anything he didn't want to do, which maybe I say some people could say, okay, he was a little bit, you know, could be a little bit mean sometimes, could be a little bit dark and stuff. And But all that being said, deep down inside was a really sweet guy. And his his family uh, was incredible. He loved his mother. He loved his father. They lived with him. He never moved from Philly. He could have stayed. He could have went. He could have. He did Bye Bye Birdie back in the sixties. He could have moved to L.A. He, he was. He was op, starring opposite Anne Margaret. He could have had a huge career in film. And he just said, "No, nah, I'm a Philly boy," and stayed around here. And I think it, he probably could have been a, a bigger national star. He was huge in the area, but I'm right. saying the national. No, I think you're star. right. I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And it was a real treat to uh, see the two of you performing in Atlantic City a few years ago and see how excited a lot of his fans got uh, in seeing him perform in person because he still had a, a great voice even uh, being in his uh, in his 70s. We're talking with Dave Damiani. Uh, Dave, in terms of when you're in Atlantic City, and I know you're in um, Margate now, which is the neighboring uh, town to Atlantic City, and I know you own some property in Ventnor. When you're in Atlantic City, if you're a fan of your type of music, which I'll call uh, the the Great American Songbook or Adult Standards, um, let's assume you're not performing. Where do you like to go for live music in Atlantic City? Well, this is the thing. There's really not a ton of places that you can go and really just chill and have, like. I like you. Know, I was I was in L.A. I started this music working at a jazz club. I was a bartender at a jazz club. I really, really wish that there was more venues like that in Atlantic City. When I used to come, mm. we used to actually just go and hang out in the lounges. We used to go to the Harris Lounge. They used to have a band. We used to go to Trump Trump Marina. They used to have a band, a lounge. They had lounge acts, like really good, really good top lounge acts. Now, I'll tell you, if I'm just going out on a date and I want to grab a drink and I want to hang, I love Doc's Oyster House. They got a piano player. And you can go in there in the, in, for happy hour and hang, and it's got, got an old school vibe. And sure. that's a really cool sure. restaurant. Agreed. And that's not a casino either. That's been around since 1917, before casinos. I mean, before anything. I saw it on Anthony Bourdain's show. He was talking about it. And also, I like the hard rock is kind of cool because they, they got a lounge and they have pop bands. And yeah, stuff. and you know they have a great singer at Council Oak on the weekends, Brielle von Hugel, who is uh, has a wonderful voice. And if people get to see her on the weekends at Council Oak at the Hard Rock, they definitely should. I heard, I heard I, I've been there a couple times, and I and they had like you know little jazz trios and quartets. Um, yeah, but I was like thinking like other places, like there's a couple places in the Trop, I guess where they have some music on the weekends, but it's not really like what I mean. I like, I like, I like to hear like a piano player and same. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
I mean, they did add a piano player at the new lobby bar at the Borgata, which is nice. That adds a nice element to it. But you're right. There's no real um, full-time jazz club in Atlantic City. Well, there's not. And I'm I'm working. I just had a meeting yesterday. It's random. It's random that we're bringing this up. I was at the, the um, showboat, which is like, a, which isn't really a casino anymore, but they've they've upgraded the hotel. They upgraded a lot of. I mean, it's incredible what they've done inside. They put this arcade in there that's like better no, than Dave and Buster's. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Lucky Snake. Lucky Snake, and then they and then they put in this go kart track where the casino floor was. That they have these go kart cars that are electric, and they're they're. It's unbelievable how fast they go. And there's a there's a restaurant in there that was called Scarduzio's, and we're talking about doing like some sort of jazz thing through the summer with uh, real piano and. Some 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 guest artists and stuff. So this is something that I'm like, kind of like, you know what? Let's go for it because I think it's. I think to be honest with you, it's a, a it's kind of a little bit of a void right now. I gotta be honest. Yeah, I uh, I think you're right, and I hope that uh, I remember Scarduzio's when it was a restaurant. I was there the weekend before they closed. I thought they had great food, and more importantly, a great location right on the boardwalk. I'd love to see that be a uh, a music venue. Talking to Dave Damiani, so. Um, if for an old school place, your go-to spot is Doc's Oyster House. Uh, what about if you had to pick uh, a favorite spot for dining overall? Is it still Doc's, or do you branch out and go somewhere else when you're in the area? Well, I mean, it just depends on what you want. I think it's probably one of the best cities in the country to just go and eat any. I mean, whatever you want. I mean, I, I love Doc's. I love Knife and Fork, too, owned by the same right. family. Right, the Doherty's. I love the Doherty's. I love, uh, I love, uh, Coddle, uh, no, I want to say that, so, uh, oh God, the, the, the one in the, the restaurant, I'm drawing a blank. The restaurant inside the ocean tower where, where, where AC Mike lives. What's that Italian place? Oh, uh, um, God. no, I know. Um, I, I know it's the one that I always mispronounce. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's pronounced one thing and, uh, and it's not, I'll, I'll, I'll have to double check the name of that one, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh I love, I love their food. Oh my God. We're not called the soul. That's in, that's in yeah, uh, here. Girasol. Girasol. Yeah. Girasol. Girasol. Um, I love that. I love. I love. Uh, I'm. I'm, going, I'm looking on the boardwalk. I'm thinking down of all the different places. I mean, uh, uh, there's a couple new places too. I heard meatballs and martinis. They keep talking about at Bally's. Yeah, I, I was there. It was terrific. You should check it out before you go back to California. It's a. It's a great spot. You should definitely uh, check check that one out. The food is great, and they have blackjack tables that you can play at. And that's uh, a that's a really a really neat joint. So I've seen you perform at uh, the Ocean. I've seen you perform at resorts. Uh, I know you've stayed at the Borgata. I know you stayed uh, all over the place. If you had to pick a, and I know you know I, I'm not going to get you in trouble here, but if you had to pick a favorite hotel for staying, if people are listening to us and they're thinking about planning a trip to Atlantic City for the first time in a while. What would you What would you suggest they Where would you suggest they go? Well, I mean, it just depends on what you're like into. But if you're like you know if you're trying to go like really like a like a, a, the resort for, like really nice feeling, Ocean's probably without a doubt the nicest mm-hmm. overall property. I mean, in terms of like the rooms and I mean I, I love it. Um, 
but I also like to stay at resorts sometimes. I like to be able to like walk out like right on the boardwalk, right where that is right there. And um, hard rock is awesome. I mean, if you're, you know, looking for like some little nightlife, um, I, I like, I like those three. I like, I, I don't mind staying at Borgata. I don't mind staying at the, even the golden nuggets fun. I mean, it just depends on what you're going for. Right. They, they have these little, they have these little, uh, uh, at the golden nuggets, they have these little jacuzzis on the roof. And yeah, it's so much fun. The party you deck know? at the Golden Nugget is opening in two days. So that's kind of their official kickoff to summer. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, uh, I'm going to see you a week from tonight at the Friars Club Entertainment uh, Gala honoring Tracy Morgan at the Ziegfeld Ballroom. This is the first testimonial dinner that they've done in, in years. How pumped are you to be uh, performing at this uh, at this gala for Tracy Morgan? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I made some really good friends at the Friars Club, thanks to you and a few other people that, you know, really been good to me. And um, they've been real awesome with me. And uh, they, I'm honored to be part of this. And it's uh, going to be a great night. We got the six, we got the orchestra is going to be there. And uh, everybody's excited. We don't know who's going to pop in. It's so exciting. Yeah, I'm I, a huge I, Tracy Morgan fan. Same, same here. And I'm hearing there may be three of New York's four living mayors in attendance. So you better bring your A-game. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's the rumor. So, yeah, that's the I, rumor. Guess, I guess I could do my version of Manhattan then. There you go. There you go. All right, Dave, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you in Atlantic City. I'm hoping that uh, this uh, showboat uh, enterprise comes to fruition and that we spend a lot of time out there this summer together. You'll be the first to know. I can't wait to see you, Frank. And thanks again. And thanks for having me on. And congratulations with your show. And it's really great. I'm I'm so happy for you and your and your wife. And I uh, can't wait to hang, brother. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it very much. Dave Damiani. Check out his website, davedamiani.com. You can check out his music on YouTube or wherever music is available these days. We'll take your calls next. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, if you want to comment on anything we've covered, 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Now, I'll tell you, speaking of gifts, one gift that I will never give anyone is a gift certificate. I absolutely hate gift certificates. I, I, I just, I hate the idea of them. I hate the functionality of them. But other than... Um, Atlantic City. My favorite community in New Jersey is Cape May, New Jersey. And there's so much to do there. It's just wonderful. It's really so beautiful there. Great beaches, great restaurants, great museums, great shopping, uh, great, you know, 
activity. It's just wonderful. It's really my wife and I, and we don't go away much, but we make a point to go away there uh, every year. And we're going to go there again in um, in August. So when I was in Atlantic City at Harry Hurley's charity auction, I bid, I didn't think, uh, for two nights at a bed and breakfast in Cape May. I figured that's great. My wife and I go to Cape May anyway. We'll get two nights at the bed and breakfast. We'll save a couple of nights off our rental for the year. So I bid $500 and I win the bid. Now, lo and behold, which I did not know at the time, there were all sorts of strings attached to this. Has to be used by something like May 30th. Can only be used Sunday through Thursday. I mean, who is this? Uh, select weeks not available. And meanwhile, I mean, I was probably a little zooted when I bid on this thing. But I would not have spent $500 on this had I known all the preconditions. So now that the month of May is almost over, I'm rapidly coming up on the date for it not being good anymore. So I said to my brother Alexander, I said, do me a favor. You know, I don't want this to go to waste. Please pick two nights that you and Marley, that's his girlfriend, you and Marley can go to Cape May. And I don't think they've ever been down there. And uh, so they finally picked today. So they're down there last night and tonight. And apparently they really like it so far, which I'm glad about. One, because the $500 doesn't go to waste. But two, I'm always trying to win more converts among my family and friends to Cape May because I always like to host people down there. When we get a house down there, it's always great to have people visit. But my wife did the same thing. She thought she was being a good daughter-in-law. And so for my mom's birthday or for um, Mother's Day last year, she got her a spa certificate to a place near where we both live. And she thought it would be a fun thing for the two of them to do together. And my mom's like me. She's very difficult to buy anything for. Although I don't think I'm that difficult. You get me a presidential bobblehead doll, I'm pretty happy. But my mom is difficult because, like most adults, if there's something she wants, she's going to buy it. So now they haven't used this certificate for over a year. And now we're coming up on when the certificate's going to expire. So now my wife and my sister are going to go use it uh, because it's going to go to waste. Um, Apparently, all the services that they wanted are only available a handful of days. And in my view, this is a cautionary tale. She's going to write to the Better Business Bureau about this business not advertising all the services in the manner that they're at. But cautionary tale. Don't get gift certificates. Your influence counts. So use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Um, Hey, do you care about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? 
Matt Blaze, do you care at all about this Johnny Depp uh, Amber Heard trial? Barely. I mean, I don't care about it. It's it's, it's amusing to watch. It is amusing. Ma- uh, Matt, Philippe, uh, Philippe, where are you on this? I, I can't stress how little, I'm, how sick I am of seeing it every day. It's, you know, it's sickening. So that is my view as well. Uh, I am with Philippe. I'm somewhere, I guess, between Philippe and Matt Blaze, which Matt Blaze says he finds it mildly amusing. I don't mind it amusing. I just don't care about it. But I'm also not getting sick as Philippe is. I don't get physically ill. I just turn the page. I don't read it. Um, Evidently, the three of us are in the minority because the – Defamation trial between these actors, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, who are also former spouses, has quickly amassed more online attention than some of the country's biggest and most pressing news stories, including the leaked Supreme Court abortion decision, Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, So while political America hangs on an impending Supreme Court verdict on abortion, many more eyeballs are focused on these developments in the Depp Heard trial. So news articles about the trial, which began on April 12th, have generated, listen to what I'm about to tell you, news articles about the trial have generated more social media interactions, uh, that's likes, that's comments, that's shares, then coverage about abortion, the Supreme Court, inflation, and just about anything else. On a per-article basis, the trial has dwarfed all other major topics in the news. And uh, there was a chart provided by this media monitoring company called News Whip. If you put out um, an uh, article about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, The average number of social media interactions per published article is 508. If you put out an article about Elon Musk, the the number of average number of social media interactions, 417. Joe Biden, 170. That includes positive and negative. Abortion, 141. The Russia-Ukraine war, I kind of feel like everyone's over that already, unless you live in Ukraine. Um, 91. Inflation, 70. COVID-19, 44. People apparently care, at least to the extent that they want to interact about this on social media. They care about this Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial more than anything in America. And the question that drives me is why? The I, um, I interviewed Larry King's former producer after he died. Tammy Haddad. And what she said was so brilliant. She said the most important question that Larry King asked was why. And that's my question. In your opinion, obviously we don't know the answer, but in your opinion, why, whether you care about this or not, because I don't, but I know other people that do, whether you care about this or not, Why do so many people seem to care about this Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? What's the answer? What's it all about, Alfie? 800-848-WABC. This trial has turned viral 
on social media. Now, part of that is because of courtroom cameras capturing every moment for the public to view that are then turned into viral memes and clips online. But dozens of memes have gained huge traction online. There was a viral meme of Amber Heard's crying face that was plastered on TikTok. Um, Snapchat and other social outlets had clips of Johnny Depp passing along doodles to his lawyer in court. So we've known for years that courtroom dramas are very popular. Shows like L.A. Law, Law and Order, Boston Legal, The Practice, Perry Mason, Matlock, go back, you know, so many, especially those featuring celebrities. Um, These have always been a staple of the American media diet, but this one stands out as the first major trial to go viral in the TikTok era. And I'm curious, what is it about this case that is so special? Why are people so worked up over it? 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Evidently, we're seeing 10 to 15 times the number of viewers for this trial than we normally do across platforms, most specifically YouTube. They're seeing bigger and bigger audiences for this on Twitch. And a lot of these viral clips mock heard and put a pro-depth spin on it. Is that part of it? There's a hashtag out there, Justice for Johnny Depp, that has over 10 billion views, while the hashtag Justice for Amber Heard has only 39 million views. So much of this viral content is meant to be funny. A lot of survivors of domestic abuse aren't laughing. So social media is its own court of public opinion. And in the court of social media, this Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial is the most watched thing that anybody cares about. And I'm wondering why that's the case. It can't be just that it's just that it involves celebrities. There's got to be more to it because we've seen other court cases involving celebrities. What else? Why? 800-848-WABC. Victor is in Hudson County. Hello. Yes, um, Frank. You know, it, it, it's funny. I, I'm, a, I'm an academic myself. I had 12 credits toward a Ph.D. And normally I would not be uh, interested in stuff like this. It's, it's, it's sort of vulgar, you know, mundane. It's celebrity. It appears to be phony, fake. But there's something about celebrities that I think a lot of people, including myself, and I do watch it, Kind of fascinating because these people are in our faces all the time, and the fact that the trial uh, has all these witnesses—you know, the, the 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 bodyguard, the cook, the candlestick maker, you know, what have you—the the makeup artist and all these folks—they give you a sort of um, uh, an inside look in something that most of us are really deprived. We don't know what these folks do behind. The doors, you know, we only see them on, on the screen. We only see them as heroes and heroines. You know, we see Depp as, as Captain Sparrow, you know, and he, he he's never wrong. He always uh, uh, gets his way. He always um, uh, outwits the evil guy. And then we hear about his, his drunken orgies. He has, like, uh, uh, cans and and, and, and bags of uh, cocaine and and um, uh, and uh, 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 pot 
you know, and, and, and we see him in his house, we see him laying on the floor like some kind of a drunken homeless. In the, I mean, this man is $500 million rich. You know, you say this, he, he should be happy, and yet he's miserable. And I think we like the idea that this is, you know, incredibly uh, popular, incredibly witty, incredibly rich individual can be miserable. And I think the rest of us sort of, you know, wallow in it. You know, they, you know we sort of indulge in this idea. We're sort of happy about the fact that they're not, uh, you know, they're not happier than we are. Well, so it's a very well thought out uh, theory, Victor, and I love it. I love the way you put it. Um, so a um, couple of things. One, I agree with you that there's something about celebrities because we only know them for the most part in a very controlled setting, a very scripted setting in the case of movie stars that we we do enjoy peering behind the window of what's going on, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons, quite frankly, why celebrity sex tapes are so popular. You know, you see a celebrity, whether it's uh, Hulk Hogan or Pamela Anderson having sex, all of a sudden there's so much more interest in watching that sex tape than just watching regular pornography because you don't know those regular porno- porno- pornography stars. You just you know the celebrities. The other thing that I wonder, though, is... I could see it, it sounds like you think maybe Schadenfreude plays a role here. The fact that we enjoy seeing celebrities that are rich and powerful and 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 successful suffering like normal people do. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, they, they're taken down to our level. That's something that. It's almost like we don't want to happen because we like to, you know, we like to celebrate those people who are, you know, who. Uh, you know, we think are on on the screen. They're like ten foot tall, and then we are taken down to our level. There's a, I mean, yeah, there's a certain degree of disappointment. But on the other hand, it's almost like we also have a sort of a sadistic element about it. Is that ah ah, you see, now you're suffering too. Ah, I see. Now you're running out of money too. Now you're running out of this. Now, uh, you know, it's something that we all experience. And yet, at the same time, we, you know, and it's like it's like this fascination that we have with royalty, you know, especially the the British royalty. And then, and then, but we really become interested in it when something awful happens, right. like the death of Diana, or 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 some scandal, some divorces, you know, uh, between this between this group. And all of a sudden, we we turn on the volume, and so, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I think this you know this idea that that taken down to our level, uh, it, 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 it's a sort of form of sadomasochism that I think all of us have. We love them, but we also don't mind seeing them suffering just a little bit the way we suffer every day, going to work and so on. And so, Because, you know, we always assume that these people never work. We always assume that these people never have right. a nine-to-five jobs their entire life. You know, they have the easiest job in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, a movie is like two hours long. Oh, gee, my God, you know, it's two hours. They're getting $50 million. You know, I mean, Tom Cruise got $50 million, according to the tabloid, uh, for, for his uh, Mission Impossible. My God, they, 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 you know, the movie's barely two hours. 
and, and, and yet at the same time, they, they, they're, they're like our neighbors. You know, it's like soap opera. I think one of the fascinating aspects about soap operas that especially women have is the idea that these folks are, are our neighbors. Mm. Yeah, no, uh, uh, good know. points all, Victor. Let me try and bring in some other people here if you want to add to what Victor's saying or disagree. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. I do want to tell you, coming up in uh, 15 minutes, we're going to talk with someone named Hugh McTavish, Dr. Hugh McTavish. This is an interesting guy. He is someone, he's running for governor of Minnesota. Now, why would we have somebody on running for governor of Minnesota? It's not usually the kind of thing we do. He has this interesting proposal that I haven't really heard any other American political candidate talk about. It's called jury democracy. And I think it's interesting. I'm not ready to endorse this proposal, but I think it's interesting. And I think it's something that could catch on all around the country, maybe even all around the world. So when I first read about it, I I thought it might be I think you might be interested in learning about it as well. So he's going to join us in about 15 minutes right after the thousand dollar minute. But I'd love to know your take on why people care about this Johnny Depp Amber Heard interview, because clearly they do. But I don't. So what is it? 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Tyrone is in the Bronx. Hello, Tyrone. Good morning, Frank. Frank, uh, I want to talk about the herd and um, Depp thing, too. But first of all, I want to help you with that phone matter. Please. You've got you've to gotta put some firepower on them because they're regulated just like you are by the federal government. So the phone company will listen to you if you call your congressperson, not from your home, but from the station, congressperson for that location, and FCC, the Federal Communication Commission. If you send something to them, that phone company will get over there lickety-split because they know their license is in jeopardy. You are a radio station. Mm -hmm. You're not just an average household. They will act in I will suggest that to uh, John Katzmatidis. I will suggest that. You'll see that it works. Get double whammy on them. Okay, Congresswoman and the FCC. Yep. Now, on Amber Heard thing, it's exactly as that fellow said. Uh, it's the celebrity status of these people. We are on ordinary common mortals. And uh, when we look up to them in many respects, it's in awe. The royal family or Hollywood or Liz Taylor or Madonna, they're stars, and we look up to them for whatever reason. Therefore, when they fall, we don't really enjoy their fall. We just want to elevate ourselves. Oh, that didn't happen to me. I'm so much better off. Interesting. It's not that we want them them to fall. It's that it makes us see our life is just a lot better than theirs. Yeah, well, a, a fair point, Tyrone, and I think it's the point that I made as well, which is schadenfreude. People love to see celebrities suffering, for better or worse. I think this that people do. Uh, Linda sent me an email. I'm not interested in the story myself, meaning Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. If you want to comment, you can, 800-848-WABC. I'm not interested in the story myself. However, I think the interest others have is basically an escape from the horrors of Ukraine, abortion, mass murders, and Supreme Court leak, etc. 
I think we all need a way to escape from the world horrors for our own mental health. This probably lessens the stresses of life today and all that so many more are going through. Sometimes people have to step away from the real news that truly influence our lives. Great show. Thank you, Linda. Um, I think she might be onto something here. Maybe people are sick of hearing about Supreme Court and abortion and crime going up and mass shootings in California, mass shootings in New York, mass shootings in Buffalo. Maybe they need a little bit of a break. And this is sort of like, um, I don't know, junk food, intellectual junk food. Maybe there's something to that. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Gene is in Manhattan. Hello, Gene. Yes. Hi, Frank. You were talking to Dave Damiani about the Tracy Morgan gala at the uh, Zigfield Ballroom. Yes. And I'm wondering, I used to go to the Zigfield Theater for movies. Is this the same location? It's on uh, 54th Street. That's it. Yeah, so it is. I was there. I was there when they closed that film theater down. It was a huge film theater. And I, the last film I actually started to see there was a film about Superman. And it was on my birthday. My husband took me. And uh, they were starting the premiere that day. And uh, we got to see the first reel. And uh, they had some problem with the rest of them. And we were told we could come back another day. And I said to my husband, Oh, it would never be the same as it would be today since it was such a special day for myself. But we saw some great films there. We saw Dream Girls with Jennifer Hudson. We saw um, The Roads with that Midler and uh, a number of other films. And you went up a escalator to the second yeah, floor. Yeah, no, it was Mammoth. You saw, you saw costumes that were uh, used in the film. And uh, it was a very special kind of a place, and I really missed it when it closed down. It was right opposite the hotel. So you go and stay over in the hotel lobby until it was around time to line up to see the movie. Well, yeah, no, it's got a storied history as a theater and now as a, as an event space. That's certainly true. Gene, thanks for uh-huh. calling and thanks for sharing those memories. Mark is in Rochelle Park. Hello, Mark. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Hey, let's real quick. I agree with the email letter a lot, actually. You know, it's a nice diversion to have from real life. But I also think all these issues, be it the Supreme Court, be it the Ukraine, be it the baby formula, be it whatever it is, I don't think we understand it fully. Mm. I don't think the populace really, you know, it's not just one thing. It's a couple of different things. So I, I don't think we're too smart to want to put the time in to look in, in depth into these issues. Sadly, I think that's the case on a lot of lot of things. That's a great point. So, so the your point is the Johnny Depp situation. It's pretty easy to understand. Whereas the the Roe versus Wade situation, it takes a little bit of work to understand the the context and the history and the implications. Exactly, Mundo. Well, that's interesting. I like that theory, Mark. It makes sense to me. So, so far, I've gotten I think four good answers. Well, two of them were duplicative. About this. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. Noel is calling from Brooklyn. Hello, Noel. Hello. Uh, I, I'd like to talk about a few things. Uh, number one, your question just recently. Uh, news is no longer news. It's really more entertainment. It's designed to have people think 
in the way that uh, whomever wants you to think. So it's no longer real news. It's just this is what we want you to think, because we never hear, for example, about what's going on uh, in Yemen. We never hear about the Palestinian side. We never hear about an alternative to um, uh, the COVID. So these are things that uh, make it not real news. Now, as far as your um, phones are concerned, uh, something way uh, uh, above your owner or the FCC, it could be sunspots that are creating problems. I, I wondered. I wondered about that, and there were some reception issues that we were having a few months ago, which I think were tied to sunspots. I um I don't know about that because I don't hear it on other radio stations. Well, I mean, remember, it could go through the shielding. I mean, I those people who are out there who are ham operators, they know. It, actually, you should probably ask some of the your ham operators who, who, who uh, you know, they could tell you because they have charts about sunspots and, and different things like that. Now, as far as immigration is concerned, I think that some men and women who cross the border and maybe you should have a show on why people. Uh, we always talk about people coming over the border, but why would you leave sunshine, mangoes, and, and, and fresh fish to come to this country? Maybe you should have a show on why people leave. Right. But as far as, yeah, huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, as far as immigration is concerned, I think some people should uh, be put into the, uh, you know, if they want to come over here and become taxpaying citizens, they should be put into the services that, that are recruiting all the time like the Army and the Marine Corps. And as far as uh, cre- uh, uh, cremation, I, I had a, a, you know, while I was told, um, uh, Frank, I was thinking about the, the pros and cons. For example, um, Medgar, my, Medgar Wiley Evans, who, as we all know, was, was shot back in the 60s. The only right. time... Evers. Evers. The, the Evers, I'm sorry, right. Uh, was the only time that I think one of his children was able to see him is when he was exhumed. So if he was cremated, they would never got to see him. Yeah, no, that, you're you're right about that, uh, Noel. Uh, that's uh, absolutely right. No, I have to run because we have the thousand dollar minute, and we have um, Doctor Hugh McTavish standing by. Let me try and squeeze in one more call here because, as I understand it, it's a first timer. Felice calling from Riverdale. Hello, Felice. Yeah, hi, Frank. Um, I'm I'm calling about a suggestion for your be- uh, your brother's upcoming wedding in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. First, I want to ask you: um, Were you ever in Hawaii before? No. You were first Rachel? time. No. Okay. And, and Rachel's not able to come. She's not coming. Oh, okay. Sorry, she has to be just sent with Carmine, probably. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just my suggestion is that um, I think it would be a very good idea to select a four or five star restaurant and suggest to your brother and sister. Well, what's the name? Kat? Your brother's Nick and Kate. Cat, right? Cat. And Nick. Nick is your brother. Correct. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So suggest to your brother um, and future sister-in-law that you would like to take them out to um, dinner. To make it seem, you know, to make it seem like, you know, just oh, I had an idea. Let's go out for dinner, and you know, suggest going out for dinner, and you know, make it seem like you each expect 
for your, your own meal. Yeah. And then, no, and then also, um, after the, oh, no, no, before dinner served, you make the reservation, you speak to the, the waiter or the maitre d' beforehand, and um, you say that when it's time for dessert, they could bring out a cake with, congratu- with, you know, with congratulations to Nick and Kat and Kate on your beautiful wedding. Well, that's uh, actually a pretty good suggestion, Felice, uh, because... Wait, I have just one more thing. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry, Scott. I just have one more thing to say. And then when the time comes to pay the bill, have the way to bring out on, you know, ice uh, plate or whatever and um, bring out the check and hand it to your brother with the words, this meal has been paid for by Rachel and Frank with much love. Uh, yeah, you know, that's not a bad suggestion, um, Felice. Felice, thank you for the call and the thought that you put into that. Um, you know, I would like to do something with Rachel and Nick and Kat because Rachel's not able to come to the wedding, so it would be nice to have my wife be able to celebrate their union in some form or another. So maybe we will take them out to dinner. You know what it is? Maybe I find maybe if you're the oldest sibling, you find this too. Because I'm the oldest, I find that I always pay anyway. You know, uh, it's not it's not a rare thing that I don't pay. I mean, that, it's, no, to have me pay rather, I always pay. But the extra flair of the cake and the um, and the congratulatory note on the bill that Felice suggested, maybe we will do that. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe the week after they come back from Hawaii or something. I like that. All right. Um, if you want to win $1,000, be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And then we're going to talk a little bit about democracy, uh, jury democracy. Pretty interesting. With Dr. Hugh McTavish. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Seventh caller right now to 800-848-WABC. We'll get an opportunity. Oh, actually, no, we have a, a contestant today, right? Because of the fellow yesterday. Um, because we wronged him yesterday. There was some controversy, and we don't want any controversy. So, no seventh caller. We have our contestant for today, and we will um, go back to the seventh caller selection process tomorrow. Dr. Hugh McTavish joins me in a couple of minutes as well. Straight ahead. This is Kiss. Do you love me? If you ever want to know the music we're playing on the show, join our Facebook group. Just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, and we list them there after each and every show. We're going to talk with Dr. Hugh McTavish in just a minute. Uh, One of the more interesting candidates running for office this year in the whole country, as far as I'm concerned. But first, we want to give one lucky listener a chance to win $1,000. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank 
Thank you, Chris Libertini. And we're going to welcome back Michael in Pennsylvania. There was some controversy over a question yesterday involving Rudy Giuliani, and we don't want any controversy with our contestants, although Michael did answer it correctly, even though there was a problem with the formatting of the question. Michael, welcome back. Thank you, Frank. All right, Michael. How are you? I'm well. You did very well yesterday. We're going to see if you could do even better today and uh, try and win the $1,000. You know the rules, so I'm not going to bother repeating them. You ready to go? Okay, let's go. How many toes do you have? Ten. Who was Batman's sidekick? Robin Hood. Robin. Robin. How many innings are in a baseball game? Nine. What WABC talk show host is filling in this week from 12 to 1 p.m.? Oh, wow. <laughs> haven't been listening. Uh, between 12 and 1, Curtis? No, I'm sorry. It is Dominic Carter. Dominic Carter. Uh, we've yeah, mentioned it on this show as well. I didn't get to hear the whole show today. I was going to say Dominic, but I figured Curtis is the one who fills in all the time. Yeah, well. Wait. Is that Dominic normal time? No, he's on midnight to 1 normally. This week he's on 12 to 1 p.m. 12, oh, 12 to 1 p.m.? Yes. You said 12 to 1. P.M. I you said, said P.M. To... No, I, I, said, I, said I said P.M. I said P.M. Michael, I'm putting you on hold. Talk to the judge and, uh, and give Philippe your information, and we're going to give you something interesting. We're going to have to take this case to a jury. I feel like if we had Michael on every day, there'd be some controversy with the question, right? Don't you? Don't you get oh, that yes. impression? Yeah, because now i got to go check to see if you actually said No, I said P.M. I said 12 to 1. P.M. That's exactly how I said 12 to 1. PM. That's how I said. And that's the only slot where there's rotating hosts. True. You know, everything else is kind of locked in. All right. Um, we may have to go to a jury, and perhaps the man who is, who can deliver that jury is Doctor Hugh McTavish. Hugh McTavish is a fascinating, fascinating guy. He is a scientist. He's an entrepreneur. He's the author of three books. He's a biochemist. He's an immunologist. He's an inventor with 21 U.S. patents, and now he's running for governor of Minnesota, if you could believe it, as the as the nominee of the independence, um, the uh, the as an independent candidate. We'll tell you more specifically um, how he's running. Dr. McTavish, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you for having me, Frank. So at 21 patents, I can't even come up with 21 ideas for show topics. What are some of the patents that you have? Uh, let's see. I think my first one was for a photo. Uh, um, uh, it was kind of my first love scientifically. Uh, was um, a way of modifying the, the plant photosynthetic system to, to harness it to split water into oxygen and hydrogen. So the idea of hydrogen is a clean energy source. Uh, you split water, get the hydrogen as a fuel, uh, burn it again later, and you get hydrogen, ba- you get water vapor back is the only. So it's pollution-free, uh, clean, renewable energy. Wow. Well, that's, ter- um, that's terrific. Are, are, do you make money with any of these patents? I've made, <laughs> yeah, I've made money with a couple of them. <laughs> some okay. of them. Some of them, <laughs> uh, 
I started two pharmaceutical companies, uh, one off of a, a new treatment for in, uh, for preventing cold sores that I invented, um, and the other for um, a targeted drug for treating cancer, oh, which but- I invented out of my own. Uh, I had cancer was the inspiration for that one. So. Well, uh, well, I'm glad you seem to be doing well now. Hey, you'll, you've also wrote a, a bunch of interesting books, one of which is very relevant to what we've just been through, um, and the COVID lockdown insanity. So I, I haven't read the book yet, but do I understand from the title that you think the lockdowns we underwent two years ago were unwise? That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they were insane. There, there was not a good rational basis for them. So you clearly are an accomplished guy. Uh, you seem to have been have done very well in a bunch of different fields. Why would you run for governor? Uh, I started first started thinking about running for governor because of the lockdowns. So I thought the lockdowns were a huge mistake. I I um, very much I feel like actually that I know the lockdowns were a huge mistake that I can prove it. Um, and. Uh, uh, so I was so outraged about it. Um, and, uh, that's, that's basically why I started, first started running, thinking about running for governor. Uh, but the primary reason is this idea I have called jury democracy. Um, I had the idea 25 years ago and, um, thought I would, uh, thought I would write a book about it at some point. And then this came up and I was thinking about running for governor and I thought, well, nobody reads books anymore. Uh, so a better way to get it into debate, so, you know, the point would be to be to get it into public debate, get people aware of the idea and hopefully get it implemented and spread. A better way to do that would be to run for office and that would that would force it into debate. And then if I win, really have it in debate and and, uh, and implement it and test it out. Yeah, well, I think uh, aside um, before we get into the merits of uh, jury democracy, I love that approach. And historically, uh, and I've always been a an independent and I've been a member of uh, third parties, multi, you know, most of my life. But historically, that's really the the critical role that third parties have played in American history is taking these ideas that were nowhere on the radar screen of the American uh, political discourse and putting them smack dab in the middle of the conversation. Everything from social security to child labor laws to, you know, issue after issue all came from third parties. And I love that approach and I wish more people would do it. Now, you're running with the, uh, you're the nominee or you're running with the Independence Alliance. That's the successor to the Independence Party, which elected Jesse Ventura, who's a regular guest on this show. And I've been very very impressed with a lot of the other previous Independence Party nominees for governor, people like Tim Penny and others. Um, are you already the nominee of the Independence Alliance, or is there a primary? I'm already the nominee. Right. Um, we need to get we need to get two thousand signatures over the next two weeks, <clears throat> and then I'll be on the ballot in Got November. It. Got it. And uh, how does the race at the, at, uh, you know look at this point? I don't follow Minnesota politics as closely as I used to. Um, who, who do the Republicans have a nominee picked? Do the Democrats have a nominee picked? Yeah, the Republicans have endorsed. Um, um, uh, <laughs> sorry, what's uh, uh, the Republicans have endorsed endorsed a candidate, uh, 
and he's uh, they just came out of the convention, so he could he could be challenged in the primary, but I don't think he will. Scott Jensen, Dr. Scott Jensen, uh, is his name, uh, and he's uh, he's his claim to fame, I guess, his main issue is opposition to the lockdowns. Agree with him on that. Uh, he's a um, a physician, and people have challenged his license like a half dozen times in the last two years because he opposed the lockdowns. Mm. Uh, and so he's taken heat for that, and I, I respect him for that. Got it. Um, however, he uh, um, he called for the Secretary of State of Minnesota to be jailed for for basically for not fixing elections. Trump has called for to so that he would be guaranteed to win. I Republicans see. would be guaranteed to win. Got it. And, and, uh, the, and the Democratic incumbent yeah. is the governor, uh, Tim Waltz. Now, uh, let's talk okay. about yeah, exactly. let, let's talk about jury democracy. Break this down for us. Yep. What this is your innovative proposal that you've come up with. What exactly is jury democracy? The idea would be we would call a statistically valid random sample of voters, which would be 500 or more, with 500 or 500 people, actually about 400 people, you have a margin of error of 5% from what you would get from the entire population uh, with a 95% confidence interval, plus or minus 5%. So 500 or 1,000 people or so uh, to the state capitol, randomly selected voters, they would listen to to the arguments for and against a particular bill uh, coming out of the legislature, and and um, uh, so however, all sides all sides would get the opportunity, all or both sides would get the opportunity to, to argue for and against whatever bill is coming out. Uh, they would then actually read the bill, which would put them ahead of legislators, oftentimes because legislators don't have time to read every bill. Um, and then deliberate in breaking into smaller groups of twelve. Talk with the other 11 jurors on your smaller pool, argue with them why you think they ought to vote for it, uh, explain your life experiences relating to this issue to the other people. And we'd have people with, you know, all kinds of different life experiences, all parts of the state. Uh, and then and then uh, the whole pool votes on it by secret ballot. And so I would require that I, ideally I want to amend the Constitution uh, make this jury a, a a new house of the legislature um we'd actually require a 55 would actually require a 55 percent majority to pass to change the status quo basically so it's sort of a consensus to for change for any new law or any change to the status quo um so that's the gist of it we can do it as uh as the way i proposed the way i just described it it would come out after the um the, the elected legislature passes a bill, uh, but we can also introduce things to the jury first that uh, there's a lot of ideas that the legislature just tables, just refuses to consider. Uh, a lot of out, outside box ideas that the uh, media um, refuses to consider and, you know, says anybody who proposes them are just wacky and, and uh, this is something we can't uh, tolerate discussion. Um I have those introduced to the the jury initially, and then if the jury passes them as as governor, I would demand that the legislature take a vote on it. 
Uh, I would say to, say to them that the, the, the people of Minnesota have specifically said they want this new legislation after full informed consideration. It would be extremely disrespectful to the people of Minnesota to just table it and refuse to even vote on it. Um, so I think it's it's an additional hurdle. Uh, one one argument against it might be, well, what's, we have such a hard time passing legislation now, uh, and you want to throw another hurdle in the in the way. Uh, but I think the, by initiating things in the jury, we can actually kind of break through the logjam and get needed legislation passed by then daring the legislature, basically demanding the legislature they, they vote on this that came out of the jury. So, uh, and if people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Hugh McTavish. He's an independent candidate for governor of Minnesota. So you select between 500 and 2,000 people in the same sort of random manner in which you'd select a jury for a trial, a criminal trial or a civil trial. And what you're saying is that once the, the state legislature passes a bill, before you sign that bill, you, the, jur- the democracy jury would get to weigh in on whether you should sign it. If they vote in the affirmative, then you sign it. If they vote in the negative, then you don't sign it. And you're also saying they can originate legislation. And if you if they if they pass something, you will call upon the state legislature to pass it. uh, And you'll have that sort of added uh, imprimatur of the Vox Populi because it's already been passed by the democracy jury. Is that it in a nutshell? That is it in a, in a nutshell. Um, also, that and that's using it, um, and I'd amend the Constitution. So as governor, I would use it as an advisory tool the way you just described to determine whether I sign or veto the legislation. I, I think we would amend, I would like to amend the Constitution to require it. So uh, Understood. future governors wouldn't be able to sign even though the jury didn't pass it. And then I would, I, we also should probably think about eliminating the veto in my mind but uh um but but anyway and just just have the the jury weigh in uh, well, and the other thing i would say is i just described it as for using in the legislature we can use it to make regulatory decisions too mm. um um and use it to i i would propose we use it to replace the supreme court or constitute the supreme court um i think ordinary people can make decisions on Supreme Court issue, on legal issues, probably better, really, than uh, Harvard-educated lawyers. Well, you know, I am fascinated by the idea. I think it's so interesting, and it's similar to an idea that's getting a lot of um, momentum around the world called called sortition, where essentially government would be left, rather than run by politicians— it would be left to people randomly selected just the way jury services. Um, so I can see one of the counters to this proposal being, look, um, the governors, state legislators, they, in theory at least, uh, regulators certainly spend a lot of time re- researching certain issues hearing all sides of an issue, studying issues in school, um, really delving into these issues in a meaningful way, listening to their constituents before making a decision, whereas a whole bunch of randomly selected people may not have the same degree of expertise or experience. What do you say to that argument? Um, for a legis- let's take legislators. Legislators do not 
I think state legislator here told me I think they had 6,000 bills that were introduced in the last biennium and passed 11 or 31 or something. Um, So 6,000 bills is more than you can read. They can't really consider all of those. Also, as a member of the Republican or Democratic Party, you pledged, you're told what your position is by the majority leader. And to the extent you don't, didn't know all, uh, you probably pledged in your campaign your position is. If you didn't pledge it, your your majority leader tells you how you're going to vote. So you don't really have much freedom to actually consider it, even if you want to. Uh, Jurors will be serving as Frank and Hugh. They're not serving as Democrats and Republicans. They'll they'll have an independent thought on this. Um, And most uh, so so I would I would argue legislators really haven't actually studied issues that much. And the jury, after hearing all the evidence on just one issue, also legislators have to serve on everything. The jury has to serve on just one issue for a couple of days, probably, and then they go home to, to their regular lives again. But in the, that couple of days, they, they can be devoted exclusively to this issue. They can hear the evidence from, from all sides. Legislators probably only hear the evidence from the lobbyist or an interest group that's mm. telling them about one side of the story. Um, and, uh, and then they can really consider it. And also they can consider it with, since we're going to have ordinary people from across the state, uh, they can consider it with people with different life backgrounds than them, different experiences. Jurors are pretty much probably the only people they're talking to are fellow college graduates, people with middle class or upper class incomes. It's not it's not a random sample of the population. You know, it's such a great point, and it's one of my complaints that I've had whenever the U.S. Supreme Court um, nullifies laws passed by democratically elected representatives because you have n- nine people who are not elected by anybody, eight of whom all went to the same two schools, and I, I am concerned that a lot of legislating and a lot of um, nullifying of legislation gets ends up getting done by these people that live in a bubble. It's pretty interesting. Now, what do you say, Hugh, and we're talking with Hugh McTavish, independent candidate for governor of Minnesota. What do you say, Hugh, to people that say, well, look, this is why we have representative government in the first place, so that not every question delves down to uh, this mob rule method of governing? Uh, uh- First of all, it's not, it's not mob rule. It's the opposite. I would say it's the opposite of mob rule in the same sense that a jury trial is the opposite of lynching. It's considering the evidence. Um, and uh, the the um, uh, we elect the reason I would say the reason we elect legislators is we don't have time to to uh, to make all the decisions of government. The ideal form of government, the um, uh, form of government in your family, the form of government in hunter-gatherer societies where we get 60 people or so, is everybody gets together and discusses it, everybody states their opinion, and you form a consensus. It's basically democracy of everybody. And right. everybody it's sort of like what New England does with town hall meetings. Yes, exactly. So that's the ideal form of government, I think. And the reason we don't do it, the reason we elect legislators, is of time we've got our lives to live we couldn't we couldn't meet and discuss every every issue the legislature of minnesota like i just said had introduced six thousand bills we don't have time to consider six thousand issues all uh, all year um so we elect legislators to do it for us um this way 
jury democracy, you really get the same outcomes. By selecting only 500 people, you get the same result, plus or minus 5%, that you would have gotten if everybody in society gathered and heard the same evidence. So it saves us time, and in the end of the day, you get the same result. You know, I am, and um, I'll, I'll end with this, because I think this is really interesting, and I hope you'll come back again and we can talk about this further. But here in New York, uh, several um, several legislators implemented something called participatory budgeting, where instead of determining how member items for their district are spent, they allow people to vote on a few different projects. And one of the complaints that I've heard about that from other legislators is that, look, you know, we spend our whole lives working on certain projects and we can sort of see the forest through the trees. And somebody that um, shows up uh, to vote on these projects, one, because they're more active than the average rank-and-file citizen, they're not necessarily representative of the citizenry of a whole. And two, that same thing, that uh, they don't necessarily have the same sort of long-term context on this issue or that issue. Yeah, I would. I think it's important that these be randomly chosen. Uh, some I heard about some similar things of citizen advisory groups on various issues, and usually, um, or maybe almost always, they they send in their resume. They get vetted. Some of them get picked. Um, so it's who's interested in this, who's most educated. Uh, who someone judges is most qualified to make these decisions. And I think it's important they just be random, um, would be one one uh, comment on what you, you just said. But that's interesting. It, it is an interesting idea how we would do budgeting. Um, I, one thought on that that I've thought of is the legislature votes out two or four or so budgets, I think probably preferable. It wasn't just two budgets, um, and then the uh, and those are submitted to the jury, and the jury um, by rank choice voting uh, selects among those say four budgets which one they prefer the most. You were gonna, and that's the that's about where we go. We're going to have to end it there. If people want to learn more about this, what's the best way they can learn about it? Uh, go to my website, McTavish4MN, uh, the abbreviation for Minnesota. The number four is a number rather than the word. Uh, McTavish4MN.org. Uh, we've got a tab on jury democracy there uh, and the rest, the, rest, the rest of my issues. All right. Thank you, Hugh McTavish. Fascinating idea. I find it. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. We'll let you be heard on any subject you want, including this one for 15 seconds. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The sun goes down You might need a place 
Thank you, Stevie G. A terrific song, if ever there was one. All right, we're going to speed through 15 seconds of fame. Give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. Time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Larry in Brooklyn, I'm sorry I didn't get to you earlier. Hello. It's all right, Frank. Uh, you know, your topics about Iraq, I think we're a little bit uh, not well thought out because uh, Saddam committed war crimes and uh, his men were almost as bad as full-blown terrorists. Anthony in Edison. Yes, good morning. Unfortunately, there's still 174 days just doing a calendar check until it comes and we throw out sleepy, illegitimate Joe and his band of Obama treasonous and Kamala Pelosi, and they're all got to go. we got to purge them. Anthony, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I'll be back at 1 a.m. Ask Frank anything. Uh, Deb Valentine is next. Frank Morano, good day.